Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to a Wednesday, June 14th, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Full show for you guys today with the full ride here on the program. Matt Green, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, uh, to kick things off here because it is Wednesday, so you know it's time for the college football show here on this very show. Uh, we talk about a great week for the Vols, um, 80 days until college football is back. It'll be here before you know it. Uh, some UGA recruiting nuggets, some running back depth chart questions, USF getting a football stadium. And then we finally do our deep dive into the Pac-12 last year. What happened? What did we learn? Who overachieved? Who underachieved? Um, Arizona State, Washington, Oregon, USC, Utah, Colorado, you name it. We talked about it. Cam Rising, um, Lincoln Rally, Chip Kelly. There's just all kinds of uh, Pac-12 little news nuggets and questions that we needed to parse through here uh, ahead of their upcoming TV deal uh, in a couple weeks. So, We'll see um, what that ultimately looks like, but uh, it was a lot of fun to be able to parse through um, what happened with the Pac-12 last year and uh, all that good stuff. So I think you guys will enjoy that here on the College Football Show with Matt. Also got Fall Quest, Brent Hubbs is back, uh, the legend himself returns to talk about uh, his schedule predictions. The the guys over at VolQuest.com released their game-by-game predictions for the 2023 Tennessee Volunteers football season. So I picked Brent's brain as to where he landed the way he did. So tune in to hear where his final tally was. But we talked about Florida, UT, Kentucky, um, Alabama, South Carolina, A&M, even a funny Philip Fulmer story, uh, Ramel and Keaton and Ramel Keaton and Joe Milton's relationship and uh, a lot of other stuff. So uh, always fun being able to chat with uh, Brent on all things Tennessee football. So there you go. Jam-packed show for you guys today here on a Wednesday. Thank you as always for tuning in to this very show. If you are a first-time listener, first, thank you for checking out the program. Uh, Make sure if you like today's show that you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player so that you never miss 
a future episode here. Uh, this is the Daily National Sports Show where we cover it all each and every day, different themes each day. And uh, Wednesdays is college football plus uh, other fun guests like Brent Hubs. Uh, so tune in for that um, each and every week at this very time. If you're already subscribed but you haven't already done so, you know I'm about to ask. Please, please, please hit that pause button right now and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps other people find the show, and it helps this very show continue to grow. If you have any college football questions for Matt or myself for next week's show, uh, feel free to tweet at us at podchasethomas uh, or email the show at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. As always, you can check out the newsletter. Uh, with all kinds of news items uh, from me, the Sports Renaissance Man, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type in email. That easy. That simple. And then, of course, we're over a 1,000 uh, subs on the YouTube page as we grow that thing out, just sprouting every day. Um, so I'm excited where we're building with that. Uh, just awesome, awesome support on the YouTube front. So if you'd like to watch this episode, clips, shorts, anything like that, full episodes, um, you can do so on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast, like and subscribe, and all that good stuff. All right, Wednesday show, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast, the Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it, I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ. I'm tired, but I've got some coffee. Um, I got the UT alumni mug right here uh, for the folks watching on YouTube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. And for those watching on YouTube right now, uh, first, thank you, because we are well over a thousand subs now. Um, just cranking out uh, really, really strong view numbers each and every day there. So I'm really excited about where we're going on the YouTube front. So I appreciate you guys liking, subscribing, and all that good stuff as we're just uh, the, we're hitting our stride on, on that front. So that's good. But you know what else is good? Everything school HQ, Matt Green. When I talk about how obnoxious it's going to be for me today, like you, it's not new to you. Like the the situation of what's been going on in Rocky Top since I've been here, since Danny White arrived, all across the board. We have some actual, like just full on, not even anecdotal stuff here. I just have a fact for you. Only school since 1998 to win a BCS New Year Six Bowl, advance to a men and women basketball Sweet 16, advance to a men's and women's college world series in the same academic year, the Tennessee volunteers this past calendar academic calendar year last night, late into the evening, the Tennessee volunteers shut out the Southern Miss golden Eagles on the road in Hattiesburg to make the college world series for the second time in three years for Tony Vitello's bunch. Things are looking good. Fifth best odds. We'll see an all-time great matchup with Paul Skeens and LSU versus uh, probably Andrew Lindsay uh, and company. Chase Burns touching 102 on uh, on the speedometer over there. The radar gun for last night as they just blew past the Southern Miss Golden Eagles and survived, even with weather betraying them, should have been hosting an absolute joke and monstrosity that Tennessee had to go to Hattiesburg over the weekend, but it didn't matter. Just motivated Tennessee and Tony Vitello's bunch even more because, like Peyton Manning said, Omaha for the Tennessee Volunteers. So it's all smiles, all good vibes up here on Rocky Top. I'm feeling good, man. I I just I love college baseball, 
and I love uh, how this team has fought. They were preseason number two, went through hell early on this year, and they fought all the way back and really turned the corner at the best possible time. And we'll see what happens. They're in the final eight college world series. It can get weird and it's anybody's game. And I'm just, I'm pumped for what should be an electric weekend and week for the Tennessee volunteers, Matt Green, fellow university of North Georgia alumni. How are you? Yeah, I thought you were wrapping that up at some point. You just kind of kept uh, kept going. Yeah, congratulations to the Tennessee Vols. Definitely, uh, they are definitely pretty good at everything. So I will give them that. Um, it's obviously the, the the athletic department should be proud. It's a big time accomplishment. But making the NCAA tournament, making the women's tournament, like the that's an accomplishment. Sweet sixteen, those, not just making sweet sixteen and the men and women's that includes sweet sixteen and, in both of those. Yes, they did. Okay, that's that's a little that's that's definitely a more significant kind of achievement. Um, mm. The BCS New Year Six Bowl, I don't feel like that's the same accomplishment it once was, but it's a good season. They definitely had a very good season. No one can take that away. Very good in all kinds of sports. So, big time accomplishment before. I'm I'm ashamed to admit that Chase Thomas did get me to hate watch. The uh, Tennessee Southern Miss uh, game. I was I, I had to pull up YouTube TV to uh, to get the ESPNU access, but I was watching it last and, night um, or all weekend. What are we talking about here? I I didn't watch it all weekend. I would just check on it periodically, kind okay. of kind of. I'd get it in my rotation. I'd forget about it and then because I saw they won game one, right? Southern Miss. I will say because yes. I know you were worked up about them being in Knoxville. I saw a stat that said Southern Miss's average attendance is higher than Tennessee's like record attendance. Well, they stadium. have a bigger stadium. They have more seats. So, so they do have a crowd, good facilities and yeah. all that. Well, they don't have so a good that's... facility. This, uh, they had no visitor locker room. So Tennessee has that. So Tennessee was under the metal bleachers. Oh, that's just uh, a little home. And... That's just a little game, a gamesmanship right there. I mean, if you say so. I mean, Kentucky embarrassed themselves of the weekend uh, two, two weeks ago with the regionals where they had them stand in dorms like these, like Truett McConnell style dorms for uh the <laughs> other team mcconnell yeah that's what nice it looks like drop yeah hey uh, the yeah, local think Brett Georgia Favre gonna... could get the some roads some road locker rooms for the baseball team you know but uh, you know, who knows but yeah if and if you hadn't got me watching i would have uh, missed that stanford texas game i was watching that live last night what a just a devastating way to lose just losing the ball in the lights for the <laughs> the game winning which should have been the third out of the inning. And what was that the bottom of the ninth, bottom of the 10th? Uh, it was bottom of the ninth. Yeah, that was, uh, that was heartbreak. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember. But, yeah, I think uh, that was heartbreaking for uh, for Texas for sure. But um, That's the yeah. worst way to lose possible. Like, I, someone sent it to me originally because obviously I'm dialed in to uh, Tennessee there. And I'm just like, they're like, you have to see how Texas just lost. And I was like, okay, let's see. And then you actually see it. And just the heartbreak from the catcher and, like, what they thought was getting out of the inning and just that when I talk, when you think about worse ways to lose a baseball game after 60 plus games, you fight like hell you're in the super like college world series on the line to lose in that fashion. I just, I could not imagine. Yeah. Cause it's like a walk off home run. Like that pitcher is yeah. obviously devastated. Give, just gave a walk off home run. He feels like he just lost the team, the game, you know, but someone did something to actually win the game and they hit a mm. ball 400 feet or whatever for just a pop-up routine pop to right field dude just didn't see it like that was oh that was that was rough well also shout out to our alma mater for the undergrad 
the University of North Georgia Lady Nighthawks softball team winning uh, Division Two, uh, the softball title. Yeah, is it national title? Yeah, there you go. Yes, that's the second one. Uh, I think the first one was like 2015, 2016. It was like while we were there, I'm pretty sure. But uh, yeah, build a powerhouse in uh, in Dahlonega and, and women's softball. Look, I mean, when they made the name change to the Nighthawks and Nigel came into the fold, that's when we knew that <laughs> the athletic department was turning the corner uh, there at uh, North Georgia. Speaking of North Georgia and Nigel the Nighthawk, he has some news items for us on this very show, Matt Green. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, your green line side of the week, how many days until college football when folks are listening to this on Wednesday morning? We are officially 80 days till college football season. If you are listening bright and early on Wednesday morning, like we know you are. And for the number 80, that is the all-time inter- NCAA interception record held by, you want you got a guess here? Who's thrown 80 interceptions most in NCAA history? I'll give you. I'll give you five seconds. You got to tell me the conference. I, I don't even. I don't even know what conference they're currently in. Honestly, I couldn't even tell you what conference they're currently in. Um, I know where they were in the whack at the time that this happened. Oh, uh, Timmy Chang. Timmy Chang of Hawaii, first year. Well, now going into a second year head coach now, Timmy Chang. But yeah, threw 117 touchdowns, but uh, 80 picks, first all time. Also, the current head coach of the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. Yeah, exactly. What what conference are they in now? Are they West Coast Conference? They're West Coast Mountain Conference West. in no, basketball, they're Mountain right? West. They're Mountain West. You sure about that? I Let's think look. I got I got Timmy Chang pulled up right here. We can. Uh, I thought they were in the Mountain up. West. They are. Yes, you are correct. Okay. They've been Mountain West since 2012. I. Uh, I should probably know that. We're doing a college football podcast. I taught you as the CFP expert over here, Matt Green, and you just gave me basketball. Are they in the West Coast Conference? Like, I feel like I'm not making that up. Well, I don't even know why you're more, like, locked in in Hawaii basketball than Hawaii football here, Matt Green. Like, why why is that the – I could not tell you – I honestly could not tell you one Hawaii basketball highlight ever. Like, I don't know – if I've ever actually seen a minute of Hawaii basketball. Just, I feel like that's probably fair. I feel like it was just significant to me because I was like, they weren't always in the West Coast Conference, but um, I don't even know who I'm thinking of. I, BYU's, they, I mean, they're, uh, they're basketball teams in the West Coast Conference. Maybe that's who I was confusing with with uh, Hawaii. I don't know. Mm. But uh, it's not important. But what is important is we are 80 days. This Saturday will be 11 weeks till college football season. So it's... Right around Who's the, the best corner, 80 folks. of all time for Georgia? Oh, man. Put me on the spot. Um, off the top of my head, I think of Corey Allen. Okay. He had the, um, I don't know if you remember, the first overtime game in SEC history, Georgia-Auburn back in, like, 96. Mm. Okay. He, like, caught it with, like, no time left. I don't know if you remember this game. Mm-mm. Absolute just meltdown from an Auburn standpoint. So Georgia's got it like third, whatever, and some, I don't know what, the time's running down, right? The, the mm. clock is running, less than 10 seconds left. Bobo gets sacked at like the 25-yard line, and mm. it's like sacked with like seven, eight seconds, clock's running, no timeouts. Like, that's game over. Like, they're not going to be able to get back to the line of scrimmage. All, an Auburn player, defense player, picks up the ball and just starts running. And then so hmm. like, whoa, 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 you can't run. <laughs> so they stop the clock because, like, they had to bring the ball back 
that's the only reason Georgia was able to run one more play. They throw it to Corey Allen. He, like, catches it, like, on top of, like, the Auburn DB, like, at the one. Like, he, like, lands mm. on him and, like, rolls into the end zone. And then the game went to, like, five, six overtimes. Like, it was it was an insane game. That's the game where um, Ugga tried to bite the Auburn player and everything. Yeah. But, yeah, Corey Allen, I can't, I'm not, I can't believe I'm not thinking of an 80 off the top of my, like, in, like, the modern era. Mario Rayleigh was, like, a really obscure player. Man, I hope I'm not leaving out a good number 80 for Georgia. Um, there really haven't been that many. I'm who's trying an 80 for Tennessee? Uh, well, I mean, Ramel Keaton right now, who's an absolute legend. Um, what do you think? There aren't a lot of 80s, like... I mean, literally, when I'm thinking, like, 80, I'm thinking, like, Ramel Keaton, like, jumped out, where I'm like, you haven't seen 80 very often. Tennessee balls number 80, because now you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I I mean. I was going to try to find who's the current. Yeah, I don't know. The current 80 for George is a walk-on, so I don't, I'm not, I can't, I'm not thinking of many, of many good 80s. Eric Parker uh, is one. He was okay. Eric Parker. Um all-time 80s because i'm looking at this i'm like there really aren't britain colquitt was an 80 i guess he's probably in that i mean he was fine I had to confirm that Corey allen was number 80 after all this but yeah he was there really is not i'm like i have the full number 80 list now there's not one big t- i mean ramel keaton is going to be the best number 80 ever at tennessee okay so there's where we're at not a lot of 80s for whatever reason at tennessee and georgia um speaking of those georgia bulldogs matt green you picked up another defensive lineman commitment a four star uh this week what do you uh what do you make of the latest addition uh to the dogs in the recruiting trail this week just um just keeping keeping doing what they're doing basically uh uh, i'm blanking on his name right now do you have in front of you jordan thomas is that yes jordan thomas yeah um yeah he's like 100th ranked player or so i saw two different i think 24 7 had him as like 6'5 like 295 but on three had him as like 6'5 325 so mm. i feel like a guy who's 325 coming out of high school that's like a nose tackle like that guy's gonna be huge so i don't think he i think he's more of a of a defensive end defensive tackle kind of playing in the outside of the the three mm. i want to say that's a five technique um in georgia's system um but yeah so he's i think he's just uh the way i've heard him described is just like those those athletic dudes on the defensive line is basically how how georgia's built the powerhouse program they've get, they've built and and he's another one of those and so he's top 100 player from new jersey yeah but the other one that i mean i'm sure you enjoyed over the weekend was Chauncey Bowens flipping from oh. uh, Florida to Georgia. So four-star running back, um, 5'11", like 220, just all lower half. When you looked at him, it's like, oh, this is just going to be like one of those impossible dudes to tackle. Like Georgia, it's weird. They have a lot of depth when you're looking at the future. And I mean, this is probably the most uncertain Georgia's backfield has looked um, and during the Kirby Smart era, not in terms of talent, just in terms of a bunch of unknowns like it's just you could see any number of guys popping and being the lead backer well, I, would, I would say it's more of a there's no star so there's no there's no one who's like a just a stud even as good as a kenny mcintosh i think but mm. i think all these guys are fair kendall milton is just like this guy's gotta stay healthy but i think kendall mm. milton you kind of know what he is it's hard to know exactly what he is because he can't stay healthy because i mean this guy could be a, a true workhorse potentially but 
I mean, you've seen what Dejon Edwards is over a year and a half of getting ticks, basically. Like, he's he's good. He's not he's not like a transcendent running back, but or anything. But he's a really solid player. And then Branson Robinson really flashed as a true freshman. And and Chris Chris Peel, I, I want to say, uh, I think that was his name. Um, he was also a true freshman now. That was who was also a true freshman last year that was creating a buzz uh, before he tore his ACL in the, in the, in fall practice. So I think, uh, I think they have a lot of dudes that can contribute. I think it's just like, there might not be a star, but it's like running back also feels like that position that like, I don't know if there's a, a wins above replacement that it just seems very minimal that a, just an average sec running back. If, if you're giving them good holes, like they can get yards. Well, you didn't even mention, like, you have Roderick Robinson, who's a four-star freshman, and I think he might play and might be in yeah. the fold there. I mean, he's going to be a really good player. And then Andrew Paul, another guy who got hurt last year, who I think Georgia... That's who I was thinking. I said Chris Peel. Andrew Paul, that's the yeah. name I was thinking. Well, I mean, when you look at that, that's five guys right there who could all be big factors. I mean, are you betting on Kendall Milton being the guy, or do you... Like, if you had to bet right now who leads the dogs running back room in the fall where are you where are you leading at the moment that's a good question um oh, by the way chris peel is a safety that's coming into okay. georgia this year he's gonna be a true freshman um and um i feel like if i'm betting it's hard to bet on kendall milton's health because mm. this guy has just been hurt so much but it feels he feels like the clear best running back in this mm. current group to me. Like Dejon Edwards is seems like a nice piece, like a nice change of pace guy. But if 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 Dejon Edwards is the leading rusher, for one, I don't I don't necessarily think that's a good thing for Georgia. I think it probably means Kendall Milton got hurt at some point, or it means you know there's a couple guys that are around 600 yards or something like that. And, and maybe he's the best one. I don't think Dejon Edwards leading means that he's, he's a breakout, like all sec type type of player. I feel like mm. it's probably more of a, a downside, but I also, I'm not going to bet on Branson Robinson. That seems like a hot take, but mm. he seems like he's the best. He seems like I, I did just say Kendall Milton was the best. I just couldn't like Branson Robinson seems like he has the highest upside. I should put mm. it that way. Like he, Dude runs hard, and he is just, he's built like a, a damn bodybuilder. So, I don't know. I think, uh, oh, man, I really don't know. I, I think I could see us Georgia with three guys all around six, seven, eight hundred 800 yards or something, kind of like they did a year ago. But I guess if I have to pick, Kendall Milton, he should be the guy, I think, that gets, if there's a candidate to have a 1,000-yard like season, I think mm -hmm. it's Kendall Milton. It's interesting. I'd probably go Branson Robinson and Dejon Edwards as the third down back, is my guess. And then Kendall Milton being intermediate when he is healthy one week, he gets featured. I yeah. just don't think there's a... At a certain point, like, we're now his senior year. Like, the dude... It's not like it gets better health-wise for running backs the longer uh, they're hanging around. Well, Zamir White, I mean, his true. senior year was definitely his best year, and he was a guy that was absolutely snake-bitten by injuries. So That's a good point. I think, you're, I think you're right, though. I think Branson Robinson does have a lot of potential. Like, in, And running backs, they don't last long, you know? So mm -hmm. it's like you're not... You're not just going to like, oh, well, this, the guy is older, so he's going to play more. It's like, no, if Branson Robinson's good, he, he's gone after 2024. So you got to go ahead and get him on the field and see what he's, what he's made of. 
For sure. Um, Matt Green, USF, approved, uh, their board of trustees approved a new on-campus football stadium that's been in the works for a really long time. 30,000 people, 35,000 seat campus, $340 million budget for this. It's supposed to be done by 2026. Um, There are some really interesting anecdotes uh, in this where I reading Pete Thamel's reporting on this on ESPN.com. And... It's fascinating, not just because Alex Golish, my guy, uh, former offensive coordinator at Tennessee, now the head coach down there in bull country. You and I, we grew up in the Matt Grothy era. We've seen the best <laughs> of uh, Quentin Flowers and company. Like They've had su- some success um, intermediate throughout the years. The Jeff Scott era did not go well. Um, but there, it, it seems like there is some real passion, some motivation, because you look at what you at UCF is built right now they're in the big 12 and they're still surviving with the big boys they just continue to grow biggest school in the state of Florida um have an on-campus experience Gus Malzahn's doing really good work there I mean I am very curious to see what happens with South Florida because it seems like if you read the piece it's like they're doing a lot of this it's like hey pay a bunch now like be in the red and then bet on because you have this facility because you've built this out more because you're not having to play at the Buck Stadium anymore you feel like more of a big time sleeping giant and a fertile recruiting area, um, fun offense, which should be with uh, Alex Golish. And hey, like this could be the next like Big 12 team, right? Like they're, it's, I wonder, this is what I would posit to you. Do you think we're going to see more of this? Because I know Memphis has been rumored to do a lot of renovations and they're trying to get to the Big 12, but it doesn't seem like the Big 12 is all that interested in adding Memphis as of yet. I think with the power two breaking away the way that they have and the big 12 being the only like open for business, you know, uh, um, conference at the moment. I wonder what that means for the immediate future of college football, where it's going to be this, like, we're going to see the different arms races where all these schools that are kind of on that border of being serious about competing and staying around. And just, I, I just, I'm very curious to see when does the money just become too crazy where they're like, look, we would love to stay, um, competitive and in this world, but like, we can't keep this going. Like this is unsustainable. We're not gonna be able to catch up, but I think we're going to see more of these kind of schools that are on that border go all in on football to try and get that invite to those last few power conferences that have this crazy amount of TV, TV money and all that stuff. I, I'm just curious who's the next domino and if this actually pays off for USF. Do they get into the Big 12 in 2026, 2027, and they are um, a big-time program that is can keep this thing humming, or are they left by the wayside after doing all of this where they're still not given an invite, and it's like, okay, great, you have this gigantic stadium, expensive, and you got left out in the cold, and you can't even make the playoffs. So what was all that for? I'm, I just – it's an arms race and I'm very curious to see how it trickles all around the country with schools that are in the USF. But what do you think? Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe the uh, ACC can be their safety. Uh, you know, maybe if the ACC gets dismantled, they need to, they need to get somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's definitely a good idea. Like I, it's, it automatically legitimizes you as soon as you have your own on-campus stadium versus mm-hmm. playing in, and Raymond is Raymond James. Is it still yeah, that still name that, or yeah. is it they're They're changing all the corporate sponsors. I can't keep up. Um, but yeah, I mean, South Florida, it's like, 
it's kind of weird because Central Florida just feels like they came around after. I don't know which program actually existed first. I think mm. South Florida started in like 98 or something, right? It's mm. very recent, but it felt like Central Florida just kind of came on the scene and just like zoomed right past them. Like it felt like South Florida had that, like you're talking the, what, what was this, Matt Grothy? Mm-hmm. Like that era, like they were ranked number two Jim in the Levitt. country, right? When in a couple of 10 win seasons or at least one 10 win season. And then Central Florida just kind of came came and went, basically. And mm. so they have to look at Central Florida as the model that I imagine, like, why not us? Like, why? Mm. I mean, I imagine the what the, the bounce house, it doesn't hurt, hold much more than 35, 40,000, mm. right? But um, I mean, but it's but it's on campus. Oh, it might. I could be wrong about that. But just being on campus, it just creates a different atmosphere. And I think that's what college football is all about so yeah i can understand south florida wanting to to join that club it just feels like the state of florida it is on the main campus by the way okay it just feels mm. like the state of florida it's just like how many people are going to be diehard south florida fans like who's mm. growing up a south florida fan like yeah you go you want you went there so you're going to the games like sure but like people grow up florida gator fans they grow up miami hurricane fans like florida state seminoles like i don't know it's just can they be better than Georgia Southern? Like, I don't really know. Like, the Sun Belt, that might be where they should be in the, in the Fun Belt. Like, that might be the South Florida. The Fun Belt has kind of raised its level to, it's like South Florida was kind of the, the reject of, of the, their, they were in the Big East for a very small mm-hmm. period, right? Like, the reject of the Big East kind of didn't, never found another conference. And I don't know. They, uh, they they could go multiple different ways, but I, I guess at this point, when we have like what feels like a quote unquote super league in the in the works, like yeah, if you're one of those fringe teams, it might be get in the super league or just not have football anymore. Yes. Because so if, if it's either have it or not have it, you wanna you wanna get invite to the table. Because everything's getting closer and closer to premier league right like everything is going towards that where it's going to be like the 60 i mean it won't happen bill Connolly had a really good uh piece on espn.com the other day and uh it was about like outlandish ideas for realignment that aren't going to happen but they should it's like the pac-12 should go to 90 teams where you just (laughs) expand you take the whack you take the mountain west you just say screw it we're bought like who cares like it the money like just so, like all the remaining like there's no reason to have the mountain west if there's gonna be a power two you know what i mean like if we're gonna have the power two everybody else should just try and consolidate as much as humanly possible to like the, the conferences don't mean anything at that point like the geography doesn't mean anything just expand and take whoever you want and then i mean the real or um relegation aspect would be amazing can you imagine if we had 60 something teams and then like ucf has to have this where they're like look if you want to be moving up to the big boys like your facilities have to be this you have to win a certain amount of games you have to win this particular conference like and then we just see like the wreckers of the world like on the fringes where it's like look um usf gets bumped <laughs> if you lose x amount of games like it won't happen but that if there is one it thing it won't that- happen because mississippi state won't agree to it yeah you know like the the big the big dogs well the little dogs in the big conferences are like hold on no fuck this we finished yeah. last place we got to go to the sun belt no that's but not, how that's much fun would that be can you imagine like if oh it'd if, be amazing like marshall wins the sun belt and they take over for mississippi state mississippi state has to go and win the sun belt for a couple of years to get back in like that would be incredible that'd be so much fun 
Yeah, and I I can't remember the teams I was watching, but um, I was watching the final day of the Premier League this year, and it mm. was like those they're they're like Please. highlighting those three games, yeah, of mm. like the teams trying to avoid relegation, and I can't remember the team that who finished like seventeen Everton. That's who yeah. it was. Like Everton had like the big second half goal, and like place is going absolute nuts like they want they to stay in the premier league it's like 17th place like let's go <laughs> and so it's like we're all we're all about trying to make november games more interesting like that would that would definitely make uh make some of those you know four and seven matchups three and eight matchups a lot more interesting yeah you're kicked out of the power two if you can't like and it gives an opportunity where like usf ucf whoever moves into the power two if they win their like i just I, I love thinking outside the box here because realignment and all this stuff's coming and you might as well have some fun with it if you can. Um, speaking of realignment, the Pac-12, uh, still no news on what's going to happen there over the next couple of weeks. We'll see when the TV deal comes about, Matt Green. But until then, we can finish our season in review, conference in review series, maybe the last one ever for the Pac-12 um, <laughs> this summer. Look, Pac-12 was a lot of fun. Um, they have an identity. They have the best quarterbacks in the country, all consolidated in this conference, elite quarterback play all across the board. Even the bad teams have had really good quarterback play um, in different spots. And look, I, I'm excited to talk about this because the conference was very top heavy. Like there were some really bad teams, the Colorados, the Stanford's, the California's of the world. But there were also like the really good ones. Like there were just a lot of like B plus A minus teams in this conference in Utah, Oregon, USC, um, Washington, uh, Oregon state. Like there were just a, a lot of really good teams at the top of this conference. And I, uh, I, it was hard for me to kind of answer different questions here, but, um, the first thing I want to ask you who overachieved last year to you in the PAC 12, who overachieved? I thought this was kind of hard. This is kind of hard because you, my your first gut wants probably wants to say Washington, like going eleven and two. Like no one, no one saw that coming at all. Definitely not what what Michael Penix did. But I kind of feel like it was USC. We're I on was, the same page. Yeah, I feel like USC. It just they didn't really seem like that good of a team. You know, mm-hmm. like that defense. Were they eightieth in the country uh, defensively? And they, I mean, obviously Lincoln Riley brought a lot with him. But like you just kind of laid out, like this was a pretty good conference last year. So it wasn't like USC was good because there was no other good teams and they're kind of ahead of schedule. It was, they were beating some actually good teams. Basically everybody except Utah, uh, they, they were beating last year. But um, so I, I would probably say they were the most overachiever in, in my book. They were dead last in pass yards allowed in the Pac-12 last year. They gave up 3,600 pass yards. Like it was... It was just bad all across the board. Like you said, the defense was really bad and got exposed by Utah late in the year. But I think it's Caleb Williams was so good that it just kind of they were ahead of schedule. They make the Pac-12 title game. I don't think a lot of people had them making it year one under Lincoln. Like people were like, hey, it's pretty good. You get Jordan Addison and company like you brought in a lot of guys from Oklahoma. Obviously, that helps. But like this still was going to be a transition kind of year and we'll see in year two what it looks like because we love the year two bump uh for these coaches and lincoln unfortunately now is in a tough spot because i think they won too many games and teams like people were disappointed in oak in usc getting blown out by utah in the pac-12 title game 
that people were like, oh, well, they wasted this Caleb Williams Heisman year. And now Caleb Williams is back. They're loaded again offensively. But you look at the defense, and I'm like, this defense was awful. Even if they make a little bit headway on the defensive side of the ball. It's not like they changed coordinators, anything like that. It's still Alex Grinch. Like, this doesn't look like a team that can make the playoff. This There are better teams in this conference right now. Utah, Washington, Oregon. Like, just to name a couple of... Maybe Oregon State, uh, if DJ Uangale is able to bounce back on the West Coast. Like, I just... I think they overachieved, and it's going to really hurt them. We'll talk about uh, with coaching aspect of this, but, like, that just... They should not have been on the playoff bubble, like had the playoff destiny or had their playoff destiny in their hands in that moment in year one. I think based on what they got, and it's a credit to Lincoln, but I think they're the number one pick for me in overachievement. I think it's the Trojans. And I think that's a good call because like the the point you just made, because they they were a win away from being in the college football playoff. Like if they win the Pac-12 championship. So now it's like, could become a big a victim of his own success already in year two where if they don't win if they don't make the pac-12 championship it's like this is a massive failure and Mm. if you if you don't win it it's it's still a failure it's if you don't get to the college football playoff i think that's what everyone assumes like well we got we were 11 and was 11 and 3 um last year Mm. um and so next year, like we're gonna be a little bit better, and we're gonna get into the playoff. Like I think that's the natural thing you would you would expect as a fan. So I don't know that they actually do have that good of a roster to to be expecting that. But you know, USC does have some good players, and they've gotten more good ones since Lincoln Riley got there. So it might not be the most unrealistic expectation to think it's it's Pac-12 championship or bust for USC next year. And they moved to the Big Ten. And they're going to be traveling a lot. They're going to be getting those sky miles. And they're going to go to a conference where they'll never be the favorite. Um, and guess, here's another one for USC fans who are really excited. And I'm not trying to poo-poo your situation. But, like, one of the downsides here is you're going to be the favorite in the Pac-12 every year. Like, I get the money difference and all that. Guess how many times Rutgers, Maryland, Texas A&M, and Missouri have won their conference title since moving to a new conference yeah but you can't compare any of those teams to usc i think you can compare a and m i think there actually are some some similarities i would say one comparison miami they haven't won the acc miami's another one conference. that's what i'm saying so they're like, actual great power getting... they were a powerhouse when they joined the acc but right. um i just do you see them win the big 10 anytime soon like what does that look like when they're not the favorite going into this new super conference where they're gonna be playing with the big boys they're gonna be playing in cold weather late in november and december like this is a humongous year for lincoln riley and, and it's not even like yeah but you guys gotta come down and play in the heat <laughs> it's like you're playing in southern california like the most perfect weather on earth That's actually great for them yeah, uh, yeah. um but i mean i think you look at them they join i feel like they're like the third or fourth best team in the Big Ten, like, the moment they join the conference, are they not? Like, it depends I mean, on what Wisconsin looks like this year. I'm curious what Luke Fickle's Obviously, if Penn like. State were to win the the division or something this year, like, that's Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State are all right there together. Um, so I, maybe they're fourth best. But, yeah, you're right. They don't have the stranglehold on a conference anymore. But they also are in a more respected conference that, I mean, I don't know how much better those teams are are at, at usc's best like right now then yeah they're better but like usc's quickly like getting back to that level of talent that they that you're used to them getting 
For sure, but it's exciting. It's going to just be so weird seeing USC and UCLA in the Big Ten next year. Um, it's just going to be extremely weird. Yeah, it was weird when you said it just now. Like, yeah, they're going to be competing for a Big Ten championship <laughs> next. Like, that's just no, it's just wrong. It ain't right. It ain't right. I mean, we'll see. I will also say this about Washington. I have to throw some Washington aspect in this. It pains me because I love Michael Penix. Kalen DeBoer was really fun with this group. One of the differences going from Jimmy Lake and uh, Peterson before him to uh, Kalen DeBoer, clearly there's going to be a gigantic drop-off in recruiting. Like, Kalen DeBoer is a do-more-with-less type of coach. Like, Jimmy Lake was recruiting dudes. Like, they had – think about how many dudes are put in the NFL, the Byron Murphys of the world. Like, they were putting secondary, Sidney Jones. They were putting corner safety, linebackers, defensive linemen, like – UW was kind of a quiet defensive NFL powerhouse um, and we're recruiting big dudes, talented dudes on that side of the ball. Now, I mean, even like the quarterback spot, like Jake Browning and coming, they were, they were rolling all across the board. Now, Kalen DeBoer and company, I was looking through their um, recruiting uh, last couple of years. They were 95th in recruiting in 2022. They have two commits right now in 2024 total, two. And they're 77th. And then in 2023, Matt Green, they were 25th. So I think they over, like with where they were and what that team was last year, because Jimmy Lake and that offense was completely broken two years ago. Like one of the worst offenses in college football. Michael Penix comes in, he stays healthy. And a healthy Michael Penix in that Kalen DeBoer offense was just magic. And they were a lot of fun. They had, they're bringing back their two biggest receivers. So their offense should be fine for another year. What happens when Penix graduates? Because guess who's out? The five-star quarterback, uh, Sam Brock Heward, I think, whichever Heward. Sam Heward. Sam Heward, yeah. Brock Heward's the... Right. There's yeah. just a lot of Hewards, like the Colquitts. There's a lot of them. And <laughs> it's uh, he's out. He's out like Cal Poly. He didn't even go to like a G5. He went way away. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he's gone, gone. So oh. I'm curious what they he look like. He's a five-star. Yeah, and just already out. Um, So I look at this, and I'm like, is he going to be able to keep this humming? Like, did they actually have the talent to be a playoff team last year? I think they really did with double digit wins in year one for Kalen DeVore set the bar very high that like, cause remember UW is a, I mean, they're not a national powerhouse pastime, but like they are in a good recruiting spot. They care about football, big stadium, good market. Like they're right there with Oregon. Like if, they're they're just someone we've grown up like the Rose Bowl with them. They're a premier program in the Pac-10, Pac-12 now. And I just I are don't they, think were it, they a sleeping giant? They were a sleeping giant, and I think if they go to the Big are Ten, they awake. I, think, I mean, they might be, but I don't think right now because I don't think I've seen enough from Kalen DeBoer on the recruiting trail to tell me that this thing is sustainable and that they're going to be a perennial ten win ish team. So. I think they kind of overachieved with the talent they had last year. And Kalen DeBoer might be one of those coaches who gets a lot more out of less. But like, if you think that well, UW is going to be recruiting the same as they did with Peterson and Jimmy Lake after, even with the offensive debacle with Jimmy Lake, like it's just not going to happen. They're not going to have the dudes. And I just wonder what happens when those defensive dudes are gone and they're just kind of having to rely on a lot of three stars and a lot of dudes and Kalen DeBoer's offensive maestroism like i just i don't know i think they kind of overachieved yeah i think that's a good call on on a separate note we i think we should discuss uh 
sleeping giants in the future because i think you threw out that term and talking about south florida mm -hmm. and i see people talking about that all the time i feel like it's the most like overused term these days mm -hmm. and we we should get to the bottom of what a sleeping giant uh truly is because uh, i feel like washington kind of feels like that like they won a national title split a national title right or do they win one outright 1991 i want to say um 89 91 somewhere around there but um I think, uh, I think, yeah, Washington, they definitely over, I would say, I think they were my second as far as overachieving uh, goes last year. Yeah, claim national title 1991 and 1960. Uh, okay. Unclaimed 1990. <laughs> so, uh, I don't Let's know. Let's not forget A and K all the way. Mm-hmm. Sixth man, all time, cla classic film of my childhood. There you go. Um, who underachieved the most in the Pac-12 last year for you, Matt Green? I feel like this was kind of easy for me. It has to be the Oregon Ducks. Huh. It's year one of Dan Lanning, but this team started eight and one, and they just collapsed down the stretch, not to mention just some absolute head-scratching decisions, fourth-down decisions for Dan Lanning also. Like, uh, so I feel like they were – they were like the front runner for the Pac-12 and like the loss to Georgia. It's like Georgia was smashing everybody. So it's like you had a one loss and your one loss is to the number one team in the country. Like they, the, the stage was set for like a, a yeah, but about Oregon, mm -hmm. you know, like maybe if it had been like with the four for them to be the four seed, like people would have bounced, like pushed back on that because it's like we saw Georgia, Oregon already, but Oregon was definitely positioned that if they took care of business, they could have gotten into the playoff. And how things shook out, they definitely could have gotten all the way to the three seed. Like, we had a team that didn't win the Big 12 that got the three seed. So, I think um, even though it was year one and, like, Bo Nix obviously had, like, a huge improvement um, from what he was at Auburn. But, I don't know. It's kind of like how Tennessee, like, Tennessee had a great season, but you recalibrated the expectations once you got into November. And so you're almost left with a sour taste of what could have been. And that's, it feels like Oregon could have had a lot more. They could, this team could have won the PAC 12 last year, maybe gotten into the playoff and they just kind of collapsed down the stretch. That's fair. I'm interested to see what Troy Franklin looks like. Tess Johnson coming in from Troy. Bo Nix, getting him back, I think is gigantic. Cause like you lose your OC, Kenny Dillingham to take the HC job at, uh, at Arizona State but like underachieved I don't know it's it's just funny how we look at Oregon and USC from last year where it's like Oregon looked at an underachieved and USC looks at an overachieved but like coming into this year who do I think is gonna like I'm a bigger believer in Oregon than the two uh if I had to say but right now and don't forget like Cristobal took the Miami job like he yeah. didn't get fired so this isn't like Dan Lanning had to come in and rebuild something like Lincoln Riley like this yeah. was a good program he was taking over and they're in the blue chip ratio, and they were last year, so it's fair to be like, yeah, like, because everyone just has that memory of the Georgia debacle and the opener, but, like, they were rolling after that. In the Washington game, they shouldn't have lost at home. And like you said, that was a game that was just littered with just questionable play calling from uh, Dan Lanning and in-game management. But, like, they finished strong. I just, I don't know. Like, I, I think they probably fit the bill for most underachieved, but guess what? I don't have them as my underachieved most. I think it's Arizona State. Three and mm. nine with that talent and Emory Jones being there for year 93 of his college career. <laughs> like, we overlooked it because it's Arizona State and because of But, like, I just thought their baseline with what they had 
coming into last year that three and nine is just not acceptable. Like that Arizona is better. You lose to Arizona. You look at just where Stanford was. They were three and nine. You can maybe make the case there, but like they just had too much talent to still be that bad and just be an objective dumpster when fire. Did, uh, when did Herm Edwards get fired? It was like right before the season started or something, right? Like, that that was like a train wreck. I don't feel like Arizona State, like, what were they really supposed to do? What was their over-under? Like, five? I think it was more than that. Let's see. Because Arizona State over-under. They did They did spoil Washington's season. That's probably the uh, the only real thing they can, they can take from last season. Because Washington got hosed uh, by the new format. Six of- and a half. Six and a half, so they won three games. Like, sure, yeah, they did underachieve, but um, I don't know. I didn't expect much out of Arizona State. Emory Jones, did you expect much from Emory I Jones? They were bowling. Like, I thought they should at least go bowling. Worst case scenario, I think it was a dumpster fire. And I'm also just really curious with Dillingham coming in and really emphasizing the Arizona footprint there. And they bring in Drew Pine from the portal. Jane Rashada falls into their laps after the NIL debacle with Florida. Maybe he gets in there. They're going to go probably with Trenton Borquette, um, who was in for seven games last year for the Sun Devils. He was all right. He's not the biggest quarterback, so we'll see. Um, 11 TDs. He had a, his best attribute is probably 71% completion percentage. And Kenny Dillingham seems to have one of the better offensive schemes, quarterback-friendly schemes in the country. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. But I just I look at Arizona State that they should just be better. I think I'm just perpetually frustrated with Arizona State, that you're close enough to Southern California, you can get some really good players, you're even close enough, they have a lot of Texas kids. Like, they should just, it's a good weather situation, like, party school, like, seems we like also, it's fun. Yeah, we grew up with Arizona State being a good program, yeah. too. Like, Jake I'm Plummer. I'm not mad, I'm disappointed, Arizona State. <laughs> like, when Georgia went, had that home-and-home home with Arizona State, like, that was, like, a respectable, like, series. It was like a... Mm-hmm. ABC primetime game playing at Arizona State. Like, that was, uh, I think they were at least ranked in the teens or in the 20s or something. But, um, is that yeah, the game just, where Noshan did the crazy leap into the end yeah, zone? Yeah, that was a highlight reel for, for Noshan for sure. Um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, when you got six teams finishing like top 20 in the rankings, you're gonna have, you're gonna have to have some bad teams down there at the bottom, too. Is there any doubt that UW versus Oregon was the best game last year? for in the Pac-12 um yes that is what I had as my number one game even though Dan Lanning really just oh I don't know what he was doing there in the in the fake was it the fake punt going for on fourth down or he just kept going for it on fourth down like he just Just questionable questionable stuff from a from a young coach but um Michael yeah, Penix that, that was throwing a crazy game. pick on the run, like right in the end zone. They could have iced it. Like we were like, oh my god! Like all you had to do was not turn it over, and he just throws a terrible pick, and you're like, did they miss their moment? And yeah, that game had it all. Like it was almost like neither team wanted to close it out and win, but it was a huge win for you, you uh, Dub on the road in Autzen. Yeah, and the other one, Oregon, um, losing to Oregon State. I yeah. think Oregon was up like thirty four seventeen in that one, and then Oregon State just came back and and won it so Oregon a couple uh, <clears> of <throat> couple of heartbreak losses for sure season. um a couple other things to give some love to other teams around the conference that we haven't talked about Cougs and Oregon State I was wondering this because Cam Moore came into last year high expectations uh from Incarnate Ward in Texas fun player had a lot of baby Kyler energy to him running around and speedster fun that kind of thing and 
Washington State was not good. Like they won weirdly at what Wisconsin, one of the sneaky, crazier upsets last year where it's like, oh, they just went over there and did a Washington State thing where they just win games they shouldn't and then they just somehow still finish like five and seven, six and six. But then Oregon State broke through, right? Like they were a, I mean, blanking Florida in the bowl game to cap off what was a great year with pretty subpar quarterback play um, for Oregon State by and large. Like they won with uh, an elite defense in that conference. Jonathan Smith, one of the better offensive play callers and doing a lot with his group. They ran the ball extremely well. I just wonder, can they both be up at the same time, Matt Green? Is it a case of like if Oregon State has it figured out, then sorry, Washington State, you can't be the... Because it's like they're the two programs in that conference who it's like you have to do more with so much less that both of those schools cannot be up at the same time. Is that is that how you feel too where it's like Oregon State's really up. I'm just selling all my uh, Washington State stock because I just I don't see both of them being sustainably near the top of the Pac-12 year over year. I've never really thought about that. Like. Is is that a rivalry, Washington State, Oregon State? It like, should be because they're the ones it, who are getting left out. Like it, it feels depends. like it should. Like obviously those in-state rivals are huge, but then it's like Washington, Oregon is also a rivalry. So mm. Washington State, Oregon State might as well be a rivalry. So um, yeah, let's make that happen. But I, I guess I mean in in our in our lifetime, like Washington State, they just don't feel like they've ever had like a sustained success. It feels mm. like they've just kind of had pop up years, like here and there where they're good. So, and then Oregon State, I feel like they were respectable, I don't know, like to like the Steven Jackson era. Like, I, I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, the Rogers brothers were really good when they were there. I mean, you had Matt that's Moore there. That's what, late, tw- late 2000s, the Rogers brothers? Yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to think. Um, I remember Ken Simonton mm. and uh, Joey Harrington were on the cover of Sports Illustrated one year. Um, when they were both like preseason number one and two, Oregon and Oregon State. Mm. But um, I, yeah, I, I guess maybe it feels like there's just so much, there's not enough to go around that like Washington and Oregon are usually going to be good. It's it's doing a lot for Washington State and Oregon State to be good at the same time. And you just look at, well, I'll, I'll wait till we get into kind of expectations, but you look at this like conference and it's it's very logically set up kind of like how you how you think it should be. Well, that's my expectations for those two, because I was just curious, because I think I'm going to group them together. The other expectation question where we can group them is Cal and Stanford, who maybe they get the invite to the Big Ten because the Big Ten wants the academics there, um, and you need some close proximity teams when you do these scheduling and these bubbles for USC and UCLA, because I just don't believe that's sustainable for the next five to ten years that they are the only West Coast teams in this conference, and they're having to do that over and over again. Um Cal and Stanford, you also don't want to just bring in the other two heavy hitters if you're USC and UCLA. You're like, well, hold on. We don't want our only uh, competition coming from the West Coast to be two other powerhouses um, that could beat us year over year. Like, we want some, not cupcakes, but also, like, we feel pretty good about beating them every year. You need your Vanderbilts coming in. And I wonder from Cal and Stanford where it's like, the only time they've really ever been up was when they have... Andrew Luck or Aaron Rodgers and it's like they lucked into just the brainiac superstar quarterback well, Stanford had more good years than just the Andrew Luck years though the Christian McCaffrey years also yeah but that's what I'm saying like they had to have some kind of star like Bryce Love all-time yeah. great college running back where it's like they need those guys to just completely break through and just be so good they keep this really really academic focus great program as a whole running but like 
I don't know. Like, what are what should Cal and USC fan, or and Stanford fans look at as a sustainable, realistic model in the NIL era? Because I just I don't know. I just think it's gonna be really, really hard for them to compete year over year. And they were both really bad once again this past year. I would say it can't. <clears throat> I would say it's definitely not the NIL era that's holding Stanford back because mm. I think with the money that's associated with that program, you know, the alum, I'm sure Stanford has plenty of money. You know, you can debate well, on how much they want to I was going to say to to sports, but I think it's more about the transfer portal because hmm. I've heard their academic requirements and their academic calendar is just very different than every other school. Like apparently hmm. you have to be accepted to the university before you can ever even take an official visit there. Huh. Like it's like a it's a more intense academic process and if you look at i mean correlation is not causation right but i mean you go back to 2010 last year harbaugh and then the first like seven eight years of david shaw like they they were uh they missed 10 uh 10 wins one time in like mm. an eight-year period they had a couple of nine win seasons in 2017 and 2018 2018 is the year the the transfer portal started like 2018 mm. 2019 and they've fallen off a cliff. Four and eight, four and two, four and two. I guess that was a four-win season. That was a an okay season. You don't really know how twenty twenty uh, actually ends up. Been three and nine and three and nine in the last couple of years. I wonder if it's the portal more than anything that's kind of bringing Stanford back. Because like common wisdom, like you hear Georgia Tech fans complain about it. Like, well, our, we don't have enough players that can like can handle the academic load that it takes to go here. Like. Stanford is an elite institution and they've mm. had their good years of playing football. So clearly that can't be it. It can't just be the academic, you know, stress of going to Stanford or having enough players that can can qualify to go to school here. So I feel like they're kind of always defying logic when they were good. So I don't really know what to expect because it seems like you you should probably be more like Northwestern and you you have your three and nine seasons, and then you crop up, you pop up and win seven or eight one year, and then you you go back down. Or Northwestern's one's like maybe nine, ten some years, but maybe you have something like that. Like I feel like what they were in twenty from twenty ten to twenty sixteen, that honestly seems more like the anomaly. That's fair. Um, another couple teams here in the Pac twelve. I mean, the biggest one, I think. I mean, it's just going to be jarring if you're a Colorado Buff fan, right? You were the worst team, and it wasn't even close last year. They were <laughs> god-awful in 2022. Um, just god-awful everywhere. And now you have, what, 70 dudes out of the program in that time frame from what you saw last year to so many new faces. You don't know how long Dion's going to be at Colorado. You just know there's just an unbelievable explosion of talent that have arrived. You're now the coolest school. I like... I would argue they're the coolest school in the conference now. Like Denver is a fun place. Like they're kind of a Boulder. It, Boulder. I mean, like, but I'm saying you're not far from Denver and Boulder. Like, there's a way. Boulder to might be more fun than Denver, honestly. Yeah, but like, there we've seen like the share of the national title, the Cordell Stewart's of the world, the Chris Browns in the early 2000s. Like, we've seen the best of the best with Colorado football. Like, they have won national titles, share of national titles. Like, <laughs> they could get right back there it depends on really how long Dion is going to be at Colorado but like how do you even come to grips with any kind of normal 
expectations as a Buffs fan right now because you're going to go from one of maybe the worst Power Five team last year to a team that has bowl expectations, crazy schedule. You're recruiting your ass off. You're killing it in the portal. You might have the best like DB in college football in a year in Travis Hunter if he develops under Dion, like who was the number one overall player yeah, in his class. Too. Yeah, Cromartie, like. There's just I don't even know what to think if you're a Colorado fan because you're like, am I going to be upset if we go like six and six with the talent? Are we? Am I going to be upset if year two of Dion we are only eight and four, nine and three? Like, how do you even like parse through that as a Colorado fan? It's just got to be jarring over a two to three year time span. Well, I mean, I don't think it's, but you don't have like unrealistic expectations or anything, right? Like, so I think anything that happens is is good, right? Like, you just went mm. one at eleven. So yeah, if you go to a bowl game next year, like in this kind of stacked Pac-12, like I would be, I'd be a little surprised if they made a bowl game, honestly, just because they were so bad last year. And obviously, this team is going to be unrecognizable, but like, that's kind of difficult to build an entire football team brand new team in one year we've literally never seen that happen so like we we have no idea what to expect it's pretty unprecedented what Dion is doing with uh with Colorado right now but like I mean no I mean who in the world could be sad who could be unsatisfied with eight nine wins in your in your one or year two I'm not saying unsatisfied I'm just saying how jarring it's going to be so like you were just used to you're like okay maybe this is what we are with McIntyre with um Carl Durrell where you're like man, maybe we're just kind of not who, maybe the days of the 90s are long gone and we can't get back. Like, maybe that was it. We're just not going to ever get there. To now being like, actually, Dion's going to put you in the blue chip ratio in the next two to three years and you actually will have enough talent to make the college ball playoff <clears throat> maybe next year. Like, that is a possibility now. Like, it's just got to be so weird as a Colorado fan. It's a it's a greater than 0% possibility, but I, I feel like how possible is that even to do? You know what it kind of feels mm. like is the Ole Miss, the Robert Kimdichie mm. class of Ole Miss, that it was kind of like you had to do everything, get Laramie Tunsil, Laquan Treadwell, do just everything to get this ridiculous class, and you kind of like, okay, we got three years to like win something. And mm. they, I mean, they did go to a New Year's Six Bowl uh, one of those years, but like once that was over, granted there was a bunch of scandal and Hugh Freeze was gone, so it's hard to know like what that was going to turn into. But it, it also it kind of felt like as soon as that Kim Dietschy and Tunsil class was gone. Ole Miss was kind of back to where they were supposed to be in, in the SEC West. So. I um with Dion it's not a recruiting class but it kind of could be and if he signs a great class next year he's got got a 2 3 year window of making Colorado better and it, like I mean if they win 8 games year 2 I mean is Dion not like the hottest coach in college football that he just took a one win team to eight wins in like two seasons like and it's just the energy, just the personality, everything that the aura that, that is Deion Sanders that you just know teams are going to big time programs. Just they had to see it done. You know, they, they had to see it for themselves. They couldn't they couldn't take the leap of faith and <clears throat> and get the guy from the HBCU. But uh, if he if he proves it, like shows any sort of sign at Colorado, he's going to take the next biggest job. Like, I mean, it's not like any criticism to Dion or anything it's just kind of that's the name of the game like this whole 60 minutes interview with him like he's 
he's talking all about the city of Jackson and what he's doing for these kids, his program. But the guy asks him straight up, like, are you, would you go for another job? And he's just like, I mean, I'd be lying to you if I said I wouldn't consider another job. Like Dion's just that guy that's just going to tell the truth. So you, you wouldn't be surprised if they do anything positive that he's somewhere else in like three years. I mean, I've said forever that I think he is the successor to Nick Saban at Bama. So if he cool. thinks, I, I I just think he's the successor there. That's that's bold right there. I think Glenn Schumann is the successor to. It's to not Nick sexy Saban. enough. No, you got to go big. And I don't know if they win a couple. If Georgia wins a couple more national championships with with Schumann being like the Kirby's number two. Like, I mean, who else would you rather have than the guy that's learning from Kirby at this point? And he went to Alabama. He is an Alabama guy, Glenn Schumann. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily matter. Nick Saban, obviously, a West Virginia, Kent State guy. It's not like it. The two actual best. If you want to get your Kirby, it matters. It's just funny because so many teams are so obsessed with that. And I'm like, who are the best two SEC coaches of all time? Urban Meyer and Nick Saban. Steve Spurrier and Kirby Smart. So there you go. I mean, that's, uh, they're <laughs> no. in there though. They're in they're, the top. Six. Hey, Kirby could be up there when it's all said and done. But um, yeah. but you also seen guys. But I think it is a great sales pitch. If you can pull it off, it's incredible mm. to have. Like have Harbaugh at Michigan. It's like yeah. what better sales pitch is there? Like I went here. Like I this I thought this was the best school. So if you can do that, it's not the most important thing. But that's why Tennessee fans, if Brent Venables doesn't work out. I don't know. Oklahoma could be knocking on Josh Heupel's door. Who knows? I just, there's bad blood there still. I just, I don't think. It Between just, Heupel and Oklahoma? Yeah, he was fired. Like, mm. he's, I just, I'm not worried about the Oklahoma thing with him. It, the, everything I've heard is that if Heupel were to not work out long term, it's because the NFL gave him a job. Like, if he leaves, mm. I think it's an NFL job. I don't think Heupel would leave Tennessee and the resources here for any other job right now. I think a college job. It's an NFL job that would pull him. Um, there you go. Uh, the most underrated player, Matt Green, in the conference. I have Michael Penix Jr. Who do you have? I would say this guy was the most overrated player going into the 2022 season. And he came out of it the most underrated player. That's Cam Rising. This Cam is interesting because we are completely different on this. Cam Rising was getting like Heisman love and like Dark Horse, and he just he wasn't that guy. Like you're not that guy, pal. You know. But I feel like people kind of started to uh, to poo poo Cam Rising last year, and all the all he does is win, man. Back to back Pac-12 championships. He's a gamer, makes plays with his legs. He's tough quarterback, and he's. He's still a pretty solid passer. He's not a Heisman winner, but he kind of kind of to recalibrate. You're know, like, okay, he's not he's not a Heisman type quarterback, but he's still a really good quarterback and Utah's a really good team. So I feel like he kind of he kind of went from overrated to underrated. So yeah, give me Cam Rising. That's fascinating cuz I actually have Cam Rising as the most overrated player oh, in the conference. Do this you? Is, this is brutal. This is, apologies How to so? the, the Rising family. He was 10th in the Pac-12 in passing last year. He was ninth in 40-plus yard passes among all quarterbacks in the in the Pac-12 last year. He was fifth in the conference in total QBR. You just look up and down where I'm like, nah, Dorian Thompson-Robinson was elite. Bo Nix was elite. 
Caleb Williams what are, what was elite. What your passing number? Because, I mean, this guy was 26 touchdowns to eight picks. I mean, this was a loaded conference with quarterbacks, too. So, is being eighth in some – like, what is he eighth and ninth He was, in like, years? maybe the sixth, seventh best quarterback in his own conference. I just don't think Utah – you lose at Florida. There's some dumb stuff there. I just – I think Utah is like this machine and obviously Dalton Kincaid and their dual tight end sets and just how physical they are all across the board matters. But I feel like Utah wins. They're in a weird way, like the bizarro hypo vols where it's like they can just plug because their identity is so sewn up everywhere else where it's like Whittingham has been there so long. He's established his culture. Their defense first ground and pound physical. We're going to put in the tight ends. We're going to knock the crap out of you. Like, you just have to be a pretty competent quarterback. Like, they put dudes in Huntley right before him, who had a lot of success at Utah. Like, I don't think it really matters who plays quarterback at Utah. I think Utah yeah, is just going to walk in the nine or ten wins. I don't think it matters. I think well, Cam Rising was solid, actually... Mm. They're definitely a very solid, like, identity and everything like that. But, I mean, you look at their running game last year. Like, they had a, a few guys that... They, but they didn't have a star. Like, they had... Yeah. A couple guys, like three different guys, had 500 yards rushing last year. One guy had over 600. Like Cam Rising had 460 himself. Like, can I you name like a game a- where they won because of Cam Rising? I can name games that Michael Penix won for Washington, that Caleb Williams won for USC. Like, I just- but I'm saying I'm not going to say Michael Penix or I'm not going to say. Uh, Caleb Williams is underrated. Like he's high as a trophy winner. Yeah, I think Bo Nix got a lot of love. I think even Michael Penix got a lot of love. I think Cam Rising was talked about, but like you just said, there's so many good quarterbacks in this conference. I think being like the eighth one doesn't necessarily mean you aren't good. Like this guy threw twenty. What did I say? Twenty six touchdowns, eight picks, sixty four percent completions. Like there were three thousand yards. Like it's not like he was bad. Like he was just he just wasn't like the Heisman like national championship quarterback mm. like that I I I think I predicted uh Utah to go to the playoff preseason last year. He was 20 to 5 touchdowns to picks, but I think he I think he didn't start like 3 or 4 games last year. So it was kind of like people were kind of extrapolating like okay, what can he do as the full-time starter? And he didn't I mean he was better, but he he just he's good. He's just not great. And so I think he, uh, I think he gets, and you're proving my point. I think he gets a little too much hate because of it. I don't know, man. I just, he's fine. Utah's just fine with whoever it is under center. I'm just not really worried. If I was Utah, I wouldn't worry about quarterback. I would just give no money in NIL to quarterback. Just be like, we're putting it on the offensive line, tight end. But you're acting defense. like he's like Trent Dilfer over here. Like he was, I mean, he's been really good the last couple of years. I wouldn't say years. he's really good. I think he's okay. Last- Rising's fine. He's fine. You know he's really good. I mean, Bo Nix is really good. Caleb Williams is really good. Michael Penix is really, really good. Last two years, he's thrown 46 touchdowns and 13 picks. Like, yeah. that's, a, that's a really good quarterback. I don't know. He just doesn't do it for me. He doesn't move the needle, Matt Green. He's fine. That's fair. I mean, in terms of if I'm ranking them, like, preseason, like, he might not still be in the top five. But this, this Pac-12 is pretty loaded with quarterbacks. Um, you want my most un- overrated player? Yes. My most overrated is Tanner McKee because mm. this guy got drafted and he's not good. He's not he's not a good player. Like 13 touchdowns, 8 picks. Like how did this guy get drafted? Like I just just he's every huge. quarterback that goes to Stanford is just like, "Oh, he's he's got good height and weight. He's ranked highly kind of high school. Yeah, let's draft him." Like I just six, six, I don't 230. 
I just never saw it. Davis Mills, too. It's like five-star, number one quarterback. Like, was he even good in college? Like, he's fine. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't see it. So I'm going Tanner McKee. Catching a stray over here from me. Man, that's fair. Uh, Matt Green, final question here on the Big Tw- or in the Pac-12. That might be a unfortunate slip there at the Big 12, Pac-12 right there. Um, most difficult spot for this coach in 2023. Which coach do you think going into this season is in the most difficult spot? I'm going to say Chip Kelly. Oh, wow. Because I think UCLA is is good. And I think going to the Big 10, you know, that – that extra money could make this program even better. But just in terms of like what to expect in, in 2024, like they were really good, but I'm looking at like those top, those like six ranked teams, right. That are kind of all there together. And it feels like they're going to be the worst one again in 2024. Like I don't necessarily see them getting better. Whereas I feel like you're at UCLA, you're chip Kelly, that it's like, this is a progression. Like, okay, we, we won nine they games nine this and year four last year. Yeah, they won nine games, but it's like, I don't know. I mean, you could make the argument that, like, Oregon State and Washington, like, last year is the best that they could do, and they're going to come back down, but... He gets Dante Moore in the fold? That's that's fair, but I just, I don't know. I don't know how much better UCLA is going to be, because, I mean, the hmm. offense was really good last year, and, I mean, they still lost four games. So, I mean, they lost a couple of close ones, so, it, you know, different bounces of the ball, things could change, but... I really like how USC and Oregon are looking going into this season. And then, like, I'm not counting out Washington with Penix Jr. And, and not even Oregon State. And then I didn't even name the team that won the conference last year, which is Utah. Like, that we just mm. all always forget about. That's fair. They were sneaky. I thought they'd be better in the 2023 class rankings. 46th composite ranking on 247. Even with Dante Moore there. Um, I don't know. In the they future, yeah. Once you start talking, you know, five years in the Big Ten, like that could change things. But I think as far as next year goes, I'm not sure how much better they are. I don't know. I just look at it. If I'm you, a UCLA admin, it's like this is pretty great. We've seen like they're not even <laughs> filling out the ball. Like it's really hard to get people excited and go to these UCLA football games. And Chip Kelly's top ten coach in the sport. Like there's a lot of programs that would kill to have Chip Kelly running their program. Like it's kind of a gift that he's just cool being your coach. That's a hot take right there though. Top ten coach in the sport? Yeah. I think we need to we need to have our coaching rankings, sir. I I don't know if you I don't know if you believe that. I do. Chip Kelly, I mean the dude just wins. Like the guy is still every like his offense is still one of the best year over year. Like it's sustainable. Like with how much the sport has changed over the last fifteen years, his offense, it doesn't matter. The dude evolves and wins with what he's got, wins with a variety of quarterbacks, players. His, he's his, offense, his offensive you know, prowess is unquestioned. You know, But, I mean, you taking him over Kyle Whittingham? Over Lincoln Riley? <sighs> over Lincoln? Yes. <sighs> that's, that's bold. I think I'm taking him over Lincoln. Yeah. I think it's I think, close. I think we got to come up with our, our Yeah, rankings. we need to. That's another evergreen podcast topic. But, yeah. Uh, for me though, I think it's, I think it's either Lincoln Riley because I think Lincoln's kind of set up to fail this year. I actually feel oh. bad for Lincoln where he won <laughs> ahead, like he's ahead of schedule, and I just don't think they're gonna live up to expectations. I think that defense is still gonna be limited. I think it's gonna be really hard for Caleb Williams to live up to the hype for him because he wins the Heisman last year. Expectations are through the roof, and I just I think the Pac-12 is better. Than it was a year ago. I think they're just going to have a really hard time. USC, that is, 
being better than what they were a year ago. I think they actually take a step back a little bit, and I don't think they're in the Pac-12 title game. I think Oregon's better. I think Washington's better. I think um, Oregon State could be right there again. Utah, I think, is going to be right there. I just, I have my doubts, and we'll see what kind of team Colorado is. But, like, I don't know. I just, I think they're set up for failure, and I think it's just not like they're going to go 5-7 and miss the bowl game. I just think it feels like a 9-3, and 8-4 and four type of deal for USC in a slight regression and not competing for the CFP. But you look at every like every article about like who's the biggest CFP dark horse. It's like everyone just wants to throw it. So it's open. USC, this is a moment for them. I'm like, I don't know. Like there's just so much preseason CFP hype for USC. And I just, I think he is most doomed for like, oh, Lincoln, there he goes again. Can't make it through the CFP. Can't win with a Heisman quarterback. Where have we seen this? With Kyler, with Jalen Hurts, with... um. Not seen, uh, am I blanking on before Kyler? Um, Kyler, oh, Baker? Baker, yeah. Like, oh, uh, here we go again. Like, that's just, this is this narrative that he's having to deal with until he breaks through. And I just don't think they're a breakthrough team this year. But do you know what all those teams have in common? What's they that? all went to the playoff. They did. So I'm just saying that that offense can get you to the playoff. It might not be able to win you any games in the playoff, but. I don't know. I uh, I don't want you to lose any sleep over Lincoln Riley, though. You shouldn't feel bad. I think he's doing fine. I've seen the house he's living <laughs> in. I think he's uh, I think he's doing well. But um, I don't know. I think that's a good point in terms of what to expect in year two. But I think um, I don't know. I think they're capable of being better than they were a year ago because I think they kind of were a year ahead of schedule. So I wouldn't. I don't know. I wouldn't count them count them out for making the playoff or winning the Pac-12 or anything like that. All right. Well, that's all I've got, Matt Green. Anything you'd like to add as we wrap up here on a Tuesday night? Uh, that's all I got, man. C- congratulations to the Vols going to the College World Series. You know, very classy. It was, uh, it was Omaha. That was a great, great post. You know, that's classic. Mm. Tennessee fans probably waiting to use that. I'm sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, G- good luck in Omaha. It's no, no longer Rosenblatt Stadium, right? They got a new one a couple years ago, didn't they? Yeah, I don't know what it's called, but that's got to be weird, just living in Omaha and just knowing that, like, one week a year, it just turns into a madhouse, and then every... Something is awesome about that to yeah. me. Like, when, um, like, in, in state, in Georgia, like, state football, like, you, it was the whole, like, road to the dome, you know? Mm-hmm. Everyone's trying to get to the dome, and it was just, like, that's... For the championship to be the same place every year, I want to say softball is something like that in the state of Georgia that they play in like Columbus, Georgia mm. every year or some, I think it's in the same place like every single year. So there's something cool about that. Like obviously final four, like rotating sites is, is cool. Bring the final four all over the country, but like something about like, you know, you're going to Omaha that like, I don't know, they've got a whole production to it. You know, they're going to do it right there every year, but uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's cool. I'll have to, I'll have to keep an eye out on it. If nothing else, just to just to make sure Tennessee uh, loses. There you go. <laughs> they know who they're playing. Game LSU. One? LSU. Okay. Yeah, Paul Skeens. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun, highly competitive, insane. It there's gonna be some fan fights here. This is uh, it's gonna be ruthless with LSU and Tennessee fans uh, merging uh, in Omaha for that game one. It's probably more on the Tennessee fans. They're a real real classless bunch, from what I hear. All right, that's enough. <laughs> for that guy Matt Green down there in Tequila, Georgia. Uh, for myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. That is all we've got. And Matt Green, you have yourself a great rest of your night, and I will talk to you next week. Yes, sir.
All right, we're back. Chase Holmes Podcast, taping this on a Tuesday evening. Brent Hubbs, Volquest. He's cozy. He's silked out. The man you... That's not silk. Come on now. It's silk. I'll let the YouTube video uh, watchers here. Uh, YouTube.com slash Chase Holmes Podcast. Yeah. You know, it's... it's 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 the June quarter zip fleece that everybody's sporting these days, right? Everybody wears those in June. You're just ready. Maybe it's just permeated to Tennessee reporters that Rick Barnes <laughs> is wearing the quarter zips all the time and all coaches are wearing cozy stuff that now the reporters have to go full tracksuit quarter zip. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, look like, yeah. um, why not, right? I mean, I, I was a big fan of the tracksuits when I was in middle school. That was a good okay. It was a good look. Some early Nike gear, you know, okay. when it gets going there. Yeah, absolutely. When was the last time you wore a suit and tie? You know, crazy story. And this mm-hmm. is not where we wanted to go on a Monday, <laughs> but <laughs> some, somehow these happen when, when mm-hmm. you and I get together. Um, I actually, from the time I was about 15 till I got an internship at uh, Sports Talk with Mike Keith mm-hmm. to pay bills, I worked at uh, a local funeral home, a couple of different funeral homes. Okay. And so I wore a suit and tie um, three or four days a week. And in fact, I could leave Gibbs High School. I can uh-huh. tell the story now because I don't do it anymore. <laughs> I could leave Gibbs High School and mm-hmm. drive to uh, the funeral home was called Evergreen Chapel. It was up on Asheville Highway, which is about a 20, 25 minute drive from Gibbs. Mm-hmm. As because you kind of got to go around to 640 and go that way. Mm. Anyway, I could leave Gibbs High School, and by the time I got to the red light at Asheville Highway where I got off the interstate, I could be – the only thing I didn't have changed was I didn't have my dress shoes on at that point. I was driving barefooted. Uh-huh. The rest of it I could get changed. Between stop signs, traffic lights, um, and some creative driving, I could change from – my track suit or whatever mm-hmm. I was wearing to school that day, my hoodie into a full su- suit and tie. I wow. used to also, I used to also wear when John, when I was working with John Ward in the uh. first, probably, probably up until COVID, I guess mm-hmm. up until the pandemic here, I wore a shirt and tie to every ball game. Really? Uh, yeah. Because that's the, that was the standard that John Ward had. And, and Bob Kessling still holds to that standard. He wears the shirt and tie and a jacket to every ball game. I used to wear a shirt and a jacket, or not a jacket, but a shirt and tie to every game. Um, and then when there was nobody in the stands for a pandemic, I said, you know what, I'd probably get away with a golf shirt. And from mm-hmm. that point on, I was like, yeah, I'm not going back to the top. <laughs> and now after the year Tennessee had this past year, I'm, I'm, de- I'm definitely not going to wear a tie anytime soon, right? Yeah. Well, Why now you're just... That? Well, you're like me. I think we're both uh, lanky, skinny dude to get cold easily. So you're it, like it, people. I told uh, Ryan Chubbert, friend of the pod, uh, we were talking and I was like, yeah, I think you could put on a video of VolQuest at any point in the year and you have no idea what time of year it is if Brent's in it because Brent's wearing uh, some kind of quarter zipper cozy attire. So you have no idea if it's mid-June or exactly mid-January. Right. I, I'm a, I'm a hoodie. I'm a hoodie feller. That's for sure. I I picked green beans in the garden Tuesday morning in a hoodie because it was like 58 degrees outside. I was like, yeah, I gotta have a sweatshirt, man. It's cold. There you go. Uh, I'm a very, uh, I'm very cold natured for sure. Yeah. Um, did you? So, can you still tie tie? You know what's sad? It, can I tell you a? Okay, this is uh, a pretty amazing story. Um, I definitely had someone tie my tie for me on my wedding day. I have gone to interviews. There was a time a couple years ago, longer than a couple years. So I'm 32. I remember I had a big interview for a job 
and I was living in downtown Atlanta and my parents are far away and I just never wore ties like that. And I left-handed. So when I would watch the videos, it's backwards. So I'm trying to learn it backwards and I've never been able, Brent, to like figure it out because you have to, this world is not meant for left-handed people to thrive. Like there's all kinds of uh, things in my, like, look, my, my plight growing up brent in a de- in a world where desks are only made for right-handed people they don't give us our own desks at least like two to three per class just in case you have a lefty because we smear our hands we get ink all over us every day it just it get hit when you play t-ball and uh in youth league guess who gets their brains beat in the, the lefties yeah you get you get you get absolutely hammered here's the other yeah. thing too um and this comes from you know this cold-natured, quarter-zip, mm. hoodie-wearing, left-handed mm-hmm. guy. Um, <laughs> is, I've, got, I've got everything working against me tonight. James, mm-hmm. right? Is spiral-bound notebooks are the worst things ever invented for a left-handed. Yes. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're atrocious. They're just so are you lefty, too? Yes, absolutely. I never knew that. Okay. So I am a steno-pad guy where you have yeah. a spiral at the top because on as a kid, when you're – Yes, it's like your, you develop a weird, wall, yeah, you know, and everything to your chicken scratch so that yeah. you don't leave an imprint of the spiral bound on, yes. your, on your hand and you don't smear everything as you're going mm-hmm. across. Yeah, it, it's a plight. I mean, we're, we're, we're totally at a disadvantage when yeah. it comes to writing. All of our, all left-handers penmanship are terrible because of, yes. because of smearing ink and spiral bound notebooks. Here's That's the only one who are good. There was this girl in my class who had great penmanship, lefty. Do you know what it was? She learned how to write like a psycho where she wrote like just her hand like coordination where it looks so painful and uncomfortable for her to have good penmanship as a lefty. It was like it was monstrous. I couldn't even recreate it if I wanted to. But I remember looking over and I was just like, how does she have good? And it was like she was it, it was like she was stirring some pudding the way she was like writing on the paper. It was her just so weird. and slanties were really yeah. good in the third grade. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, it was weird, but it worked. But I'm like, I it's just not that necessary I, for me. Mine is so bad. This is how bad Mine's my terrible. is. My son's in basic training right now uh-huh. in San Antonio, Texas. So I'm writing letters, obviously, because he can't call. Mm. So I'm not writing him a letter. I type <laughs> every letter out. And I just mm. first, listen, dude. This might feel informal, and somebody says something. <laughs> just tell them if my dad wrote a letter, there's no way I could read anything that he said. Yeah. I have no idea what he would be saying to me. So I type out everything. That's how bad my penmanship is. It's atrocious. Yeah. I mean, atrocious. <sighs> yeah, it's just. I mean, I could put it like I'm looking at it right now. The chicken scratch. The chicken <laughs> scratch is just. Uh, it's it's terrible. Yeah. I don't know, but like with the whole tie thing, couldn't do it. Like I just, I, I've had so many moments where I would literally, I've, my wife thinks it's funny. Cause like I have things where I'm just like, I've given up. Like, I'm like, I'm 32. Things aren't just clicking. It's never happening for me. I, I can't watch another YouTube video. I can't just be bad at this for an hour and still just struggle to get this thing on. And I remember going to the interview and I went into this, I think it was a Jose bank. And I just was like, Hey, I got an interview in like 15 minutes. I, this is going to be a weird request, but can you, just put on this tie for me, please. Can can you just... And he was like, uh, yeah, sure. And just come in there and put on the tie and just I, I go in and I make it on time for the interview years ago. But I was like, yeah, I still... It, I can't tie a tie. Still yeah, can't see, do it. I, I'm okay there. I can do the single Windsor and the double Windsor. Okay. Pretty, pretty good. But again, I would have to tie them when I was working at the funeral home. I would yeah. tie them and then we would put them on the corpse. 
you know, to, to do that. So were you actually doing that? Yeah. I got pretty gifted at tying ties, but on, on the corpses. Yeah. I mean, just slipped it over their neck and cinched it up. Yeah. This explains so much. The VolQuest message boards need to know this. This is actually like the Brent Hub's origin story that no one knew they needed. Man, now, now, now I understand why this hub's got really, really weird. So they, what was the weirdest thing you saw at a uh, I mean, this is a far cry from SEC scheduling. (laughs) Um, I mean, a far, far cry. You can't blame me for this one. You took us down the funeral home rabbit hole in Corrington, Tennessee. All you asked me about is if I were the last time I wore a tie. Yes. I just and you went high school. Honestly, right? Mm. Um, strangest thing. Uh, let's see. Um, you know, somebody playing Elvis's Blue Hawaii at a funeral was a little bit bizarre. Hmm. Um, Somebody putting ashes in a goldfish aquarium, not with water in it, but like to make it look like a beach. That was pretty, <laughs> pretty interesting. That's weird. I was at a country funeral one time and a guy came in and he had a pickup truck and he had these wood boxes on the side with little holes and there were, there were snakes in there. I'm like, no, you can't take any of those inside. So <laughs> someday I'll write that book. That book is very different from my 30 years of stalking parking lots and, and, and airplanes covering Tennessee athletics. That That's a whole different world there. I well, mean, look, Brent, you don't become the expert reporter without starting at the funeral home. Whomst among us didn't be, learn that. That's exactly that, right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's exactly inc- what you need to do. That's incredible. How do I transition to uh, I Virginia? Know, you better get there fast because this one's going down. <laughs> this is worse than Matlock and Murder, She Wrote Conversations, dude. <laughs> I got a lot of comments about that. Look, a lot of people were infatuated by this. This is like the behind the curtain hour for Brent Hubs once a month. You'll get something new. This is free. Like, you don't have to subscribe, but please do subscribe to VolQuest. But this is uh, an extra just behind the curtains here. Yeah, it's, it's, there's there's some there's some deep there's some deep hallways that we probably don't need to completely go behind, go all the way back in those curtains, right? I mean, I'm kind of just gonna peek in and close the curtain back a little bit. Look, we've already learned that there might be a Knoxville Mafia, Coryton Mafia for Brent Hubs with the tracksuit situation tonight. <laughs> that like it's gonna take me some time to wrap my head around this one because you're you not. Start, were you a starter jacket guy? Did you have a starter jacket? As a kid, there's like some, like when I'm really, really little, my parents love putting me in starter jackets, but growing up, no, I like after like, Oh, you weren't old. Like the starter jacket phase was kind of over. Yeah. And into when you like, when I was in high school, the starter jacket, deal was a huge deal. Yeah. It was probably like when I'm really, really young was in year in high school. Not today. You sorry, Brent. But no, it's that, okay. I'm old. I'm, yeah. I'm that. That's why I'm wearing silk quarters. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> It's my version of a smoking jacket on a Tuesday. <laughs> That's what night. it looks like right now. That's what it looks like. I, it's great. Yeah, thanks. Wonderful. Hey, you do you, Brent. I did a pod like uh, last week. I was cozy. I was like, I'm like, I have um, what's it called? The uh, not a nightgown. The uh, uh, not smoking jacket. What am I thinking of? <laughs> a robe. Robe. Yeah, just a bathrobe. Bathrobe. Yeah, I have this amazing bathrobe that I was just like, if I get cold, throwing that bad boy on. Rap walking around, just cozy. You can fall asleep anywhere. Bad boy from. Uh, my wife got it for me. I think for Christmas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you didn't pull it out of some (laughs) hotel property somewhere. No, 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 no. That's net. Man, that's foul. I can't do that. I I never understood the people who took like the shampoo and the conditioner and were like excited. Like, what what are we doing? Do you really need that? Why Why are people excited about that? Like the free like. 
who needs that? Why are people doing that? I don't know. Man, I don't like hotels. I haven't stayed in a hotel in a long time. The Airbnb stuff, that's the way to go. And I've been an Airbnb guy for years and years. I'm with you 100%. The VolQuest staff stays at an Airbnb on a on a, on a a bowl game trip. Everybody piles into the mm. house like an old frat boy day. Okay. Who's the who loudest sleeper? You know? Do I? Who's the, how, who's the loudest sleeper? Oh, I don't know. I pass out. When oh, I I'm just, I'm not around. I don't, hmm. I don't, I mean, we're, we're all in our separate quarters. Okay. So you're not like, you're not all in one big no, house. We're not in barracks. I mean, okay. we're all in a house, but we all got individual, but we got individual bedrooms. I mean, we're not, okay. we're not piling up like three deep or anything. <laughs> well, I, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. I'm in my own personal bedroom. Now, mm-hmm. there's some other guys. There might be a time or two where some guys have had to bunk together, but I, you know, I don't generally do a whole lot of things where I go, I'm the boss, but I am paying for that house. So I'm <laughs> in my own bedroom. <laughs> hey, I, I respect that. I, yeah, I couldn't do that. I, those days are long gone. You reach a certain age where you're like, those, the roommate days are, are long, exactly. long, long behind we'll, us. We'll take, two, we'll take two rooms, please. <laughs> <laughs> so Virginia Brent, um, there is something uh, to be said. So I was going through uh, the VolQuest schedule at picks, and I wanted to pick your brain here because you danced around the Florida thing, and I knew you would. I knew before even clicking the post that I was like, Brent's you know, not making it. You know, but here's the thing about that. That was an easy dance in mm-hmm. um, I, I, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I can't, I can't dance when it gets to game week and it comes time to pick that game because I've always said, I'm not going to pick Tennessee to win until I see them beat Florida, right? That was mm-hmm. always my easy excuse out. Well, I mean, they, they won last year, so I can't, I can't – what's what's my excuse now, mm-hmm. right? I can say, well, I'm not going to pick them until they win down there. I mean, you know, I, I've cashed that one out. Now, it's <laughs> – you know, I've ridden it longer than I wanted to ride it or I should ride it, but the fact of the matter is I'll – come game week, I'll have to pick that game. I'll have to put a score on it with a winner. I can't just pass – moving forward but i can from that for now in june i can pass right yeah it's easy what's your gut tell you on that game yeah you know joe milton in a hostile environment i I think he'll handle that fine my only concern for that game now this is the june 13th thought process Mm. and and that is he'll have a hundred people there watching him play you know, can can he just manage and not get so kind of geeked up about that game uh, to settle into it pretty quick? Um, Florida's got more talent than people want to give them credit for. I think I don't think they have a ton. They're not. The, they're certainly not the Florida team of years gone by. They're they're also not Austin P. Uh, like some people are making them out to be. You know, um, so I mean, my gut says Tennessee. Hmm. You know. Um, but you know, it's a night game down there that they, they'll be revved up. Per, when was per, the last Tennessee, Florida night game? Well, I missed that completely when, um, when I, when I, when that game came out with the game time, I, I, I went back into the archives. Like they had not played a night game in forever. They actually played a night game. Josh Heupel's first year as head coach. I completely forgot about and, that. Dude, that was and that was at Florida. Yeah. Yeah, that was a total night game two years ago. So, I, it'll be back-to-back night games there. So, I totally whiffed. 
you know what's wild is i just thought that was 3 30 and it got late in the second yeah. half like it was just got dark in the second half i didn't realize that that was a seven o'clock start that was a that was a night affair i completely huh. completely whiffed on that one and the one before it i guess had to be the will hoyt game winner right that was in knoxville but i'm saying like that was the last oh, tennessee no, florida not night game, game. Uh, Gosh, what year was that? Oh four, mm-hmm. uh, maybe the oh five game down there where hmm. where Colquitt tried the fake punt. Okay, that that was a really bad mistake. Really good defense, um, bad offense for Tennessee. They couldn't do anything. That might have been a night. That might have been a night affair. There seems like that. Game, maybe that game finished in the dark, but it seems like that game maybe started at night. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's it, they, they haven't played a ton of them because they've all been CBS. I thought that game was going to be CBS this year. Mm-hmm. But I think when you look at Georgia's schedule, CBS trying to figure out when do I get the national champions on TV again, mm-hmm. get the potential quality opponent, and that South Carolina game was, okay, if we don't take them here, when are we going to take them? Yeah. Maybe the middle of October, and, and they weren't going to wait that long to take the defending national champs and put them on television. I just – I was there. You're obviously there. Like I was up close. Like we had awesome seats that weekend um, for Tennessee, Florida last year. And you know it, Brent. Like there was Florida's one play away from winning that game, and they had no business winning that game. Like Florida, like Tennessee, just did everything they possibly could to have Florida win that game. And part of it, like, look, Anthony Richardson being, a, like. Just, I wish I could re- like re- redo things in real time when I'm just sitting there. I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, I don't know what else Byron Young's supposed to do or Tyler Barrett. Like, they've gotten him down. <laughs> they are right there, and they just cannot bring this man down. Like, this get- Anthony Richardson should not be this hard to bring down, but the dude was just a tree trunk. Like, he just would not fall tip over and was just unbelievable in that game. And he didn't get enough credit. Like, Anthony Richardson, I understand, is super raw, but like, Anthony Richardson was the reason that Florida was in that football game until the very last play. And a lot of quarterbacks in a lot of situations would not have been able to withstand uh, what he was having to deal with in that game, especially with the receivers going down and just really only having Ricky Pearsall as his reliable target the whole night. But like they were one play away at home. Mm -hmm. And that was a better team than I think this year is going to be. I think you have to rent like, it kind of gives me the goosebumps of like the Treon Harris year where they couldn't complete like Florida. You thought like, Oh, the offense isn't good. Like they had, like there's just an inherent weakness there. Tennessee fans felt good about it on the road. Like Graham Mertz, no Tennessee fans going to be going into Gainesville, feel nervous about Graham Mertz based on what we've seen the last couple of years at Wisconsin. It's just, I can see this as, <laughs> as the tennis, the Tennessee brain is just formulating the narrative where I'm like, I just, it's because it's because Tennessee, and, and again, they won it last year yeah. in a fashion that you typically don't see. I mean, you're, you're watching that onside kick get recovered, and you're like, of, of course, right? Mm. Cause this is what this is what this series does. Because if you're a Tennessee fan, you've just been beat up by how many different ways Tennessee has lost that game. Mm. You know, it's the Gaffney catch, no catch, right now. You had the you had the Will Hoyt redemption game in in '04 where they they got the fifth you know Dallas Baker gets the 15 yard penalty that that kind of saves Tennessee's mm-hmm. bacon there after he missed the extra point, uh, but then you've got the two hail marys, um, you know you got the game where, gosh I don't know was that 15 maybe in Knoxville no it would have been 16 I guess 13 I, I don't 14 somewhere in there Butch Jones has got a team that. 
all they've got to do is run the clock out, basically. Mm-hmm. Like Florida can't score. They just don't have the ability to score. And, and Tennessee decides they need to try to get one more, and they end up a turnover and give Florida the ball at midfield. And, and you know, it's one of those deals where it's every way possible it feels like Tennessee has found a way to lose that game. And that's what you're thinking last year when the onside kicks recovered. Yep. Like, you know, I mean, this this – this game should not even be remotely close. It's over. And mm-hmm. then yet, here it is. They're going to throw into the end zone, have a chance to win this game. And um, you're right about Richardson. Um, he proved me He proved me wrong because I didn't think he would be that accurate with the football. But he threw the football extremely well uh, in, in Knoxville and, and played extremely well. So, you know, it doesn't feel like, you know, Florida's got a lot of swagger and everything about them, but we'll see what they look like the first couple of weeks. How well do they get settled in? What do they look like year two in Billy Napier's system? How much of a step do they take just in understanding, you know, kind of what they want to do offensively and where they are offensively compared to year one? Yeah, and I think it's going to be a totally different situation for Tennessee and Florida because Tennessee's 28-point favorites against Virginia. They're probably going to blow them out in Nashville. They're probably going to blow out Austin P. So, then they're just like parachuted into the, okay, all right, Joe, now is the time to like kind of just prove that you are the guy and you've gotten over a lot of the hangups that a lot of Tennessee fans have had um, since he got here. And Florida, we'll see how they do on the road at Utah, but like they're looking oh. at it. I just, they might be in desperation mode right out of the gate where I just, they have a lot more to lose. I think Tennessee will be going into that one. I just think riding high with two big blowout wins and then they're just going to get punched in the mouth. We know that's how Florida is going to go like at Gainesville is going to go and we'll see if they respond. We'll uh, like, I am very, very curious to see what Joe Milton looks like in a high pressure on the road SEC environment as the undisputed QB one, because the last time we saw it was not very good. It was uh, leaving a lot to be desired there. And I just can't get the Ole Miss run out of bounds out of my mind. Like until that changes until we see, um, a complete Joe Milton game um, that on the road and a big time win. I'm not going to be completely bought in, but as of right now, I lean Florida loss. And I don't even think that means the season's going to just go off the rails. I just, I lean right now that that's, that's more of an L than the other team that you actually have as a loss here, Brent. Would you get like to guess who I am surprised to see you throw out a loss for on your list? I, I think I had him going ten and two. So I, I well, you I, have him nine and three. You're you're cheating. You went nine and three because you're wanting to say Florida loss, and you're just you're you're passing right now. You okay. know, in your heart of hearts. No, 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 no. I mean, listen. <laughs> last time, two podcasts ago, in here, you, mm. you started going down the Joe Milton hate train, trying to drag me into that world. I'm not I, trying I'm not, to drag. Yeah. I'm going into that world. Okay. Mm. Um. So I, you know. I think they're going to lose to Alabama at Alabama, and I think they'll lose to Georgia. I well, see, that's those, the thing. I think those two are the losses. And then the question becomes Florida, mm. Texas A&M, Kentucky, and then South Carolina would be mine. Those are the four kind of swing games. I think Kentucky will be better and a bigger challenge this year than they were when they came to Knoxville last year because I think Levis was beat up with the toe. I think he was mentally checked out. They obviously had issues on the offensive side of the ball, which is why their coordinator is no longer there, and they bring back their old coordinator. I think that was a pretty done Kentucky team coming to Knoxville. Um, Now, Tennessee's had their number, and and much the way we've talked about 
Florida finding a way to always seemingly be able to beat Tennessee in the craziest fashions. That's been Tennessee against Kentucky for forever. Yeah. And, um, you know, but, but that game may be a bigger challenge than some people want to think that it's going to be. And then Georgia's Georgia. I, I don't, I don't think Georgia's taking a step back at all. Uh, and I think, I think Alabama's going to have big time revenge on their mind on the road or at home, excuse me. Well, there's a couple things there. I just, and you could probably speak more to this knowing Heupel, uh, pretty well now. Like I'm just talking to other folks around the SEC and like plugged in folks. It seems there's no love loss between Stoops and, and Josh Heupel. And no, not at all. I just don't see him losing to Mark, uh, to Mike Stoops in this conference. I think, um, it, we'll see if Devin Leary's healthy by that point in the season. Like Devin Leary has not been able to stay healthy. He's been really good when healthy. Um, the opposite was Will Levis. He was playing injured and just took a beating and we'll see what that offensive line looks like this year. It's probably the best Kentucky receiver room they've had in my lifetime. Uh, to this point, we'll see what that translates with Liam coming back. But like, I just, I'm not worried about Kentucky. I understand that it pro it will probably be a closer game than last year. It's going to be on the road, but that might be the one I'm most confident that Josh Heupel is most locked in on during the week is like, I'm not losing to Kentucky. I'm not well, doing and, it. And here's, here's the thing, you, the point to, to echo your point. I mean, they've got two matchups against Kentucky um, and Mark Stoops mm. and open the game on the first possession. Josh Heupel schemed somebody 20 yards ahead of the defender mm. it was Jalen Hyatt you know down the right sideline last year Javante Payton uh, two years ago yeah and it was Payton and then it was I mean they almost scored three touchdowns on three snaps yeah the the the, the first time they met the the first time Josh Heupel went against him in Lexington so uh, schematically that they have got something that Mark Stoops has had a hard time figuring out and, mm. and getting a handle on so um yeah I mean listen J Josh Heupel's uh you know he's a nice he's a nice fella and he's doesn't say anything at a press conference and golly gee a little bit and this that and the other he keeps receipts mm. okay he, he doesn't forget anything that's said um and i don't want to say holds grudges he just doesn't forget mm. and so um there's no it's no secret there's no love lost between him and the stoops family um so yeah i mean that that game's important that game's important to him um, you know, I, I think the Missouri game probably has a little personal vibe to him as well. And, um, I think he'll be, I think he'll be really revved up for the South Carolina game this year as well. So, yeah, uh, should be fun. We'll see. I just, I think the quarterback, right. It goes back yeah. to quarterback play. If the quarterback play is not good enough, then you can scheme them for all the world that you want to. You got to make plays at the quarterback position, and that'll be that'll be the question mark. Because I don't have any doubt about Josh Heupel getting people open. Mm. It's just can can they execute that from the quarterback position? If they can, then I think they're going to score plenty of points. If they can't, then it's going to be you know some gnashing of the teeth, and we'll see what it looks like. I just of all the things to worry about Tennessee at this point in year three with Heupel, quarterback's not one of them for me. Like I can have my questions about Joe Milton, but my thing is like if it's not Joe, then I'm not worried about it being Nico and him stepping in and figuring it out like i'm not concerned about josh heupel figuring it out with the quarterback spot until i see a year of bad quarterback play in a josh heupel led offense regardless of whether it's ucf mizzou uh oklahoma here like i just it's not a not a concern to me like i i, I just i'm not there yeah well history says he's going to have receivers be extremely productive and a quarterback mm. of all shapes and sizes be, mm. be productive 
as he has every stop that he's made, which is why you're exactly right. There's a lot of confidence right now, and that's why a lot of people are are pretty bullish on Tennessee's record. You know, they're pretty – they got Tennessee elevated up there in a lot of people's minds because there's a real belief that you don't have to worry about Tennessee scoring points. They're going yeah. to score points. Uh, sidebar real quick. True or false, Brent? Mackenzie Milton's the QB coach this time next year for Tennessee. False. Okay. False. Because I don't think they're going to take that title away from. Well, I mean, to do that, you're going to have to get rid of somebody to create. Do you? Spot. Yeah. I mean, he can be the he can be an analyst, but you're you're. you're well, I mean, you're couldn't full. Halsey just be the OC and then you just elevate Milton to QB coach and Halsey somebody's, doesn't have both titles? Somebody somebody's got to go. You you only have you only have ten staff. 10 oh. Staff. It would be. They would be full. They're not one under in terms of full time staff members. So they would have to Wait, how did that work then? With Golish being gone and Halsey just being promoted from within? Golish was also the tight ends coach. Oh, that's right. Ends. Okay. Golish being gone as a tight ends coach means, you know, Alec Abling gets the tight ends job. That's Halsey right. keeps the quarterback's job, gets the new title, and your numbers are where they're at. So I think huh. Mackenzie Milton will be hands on, will be, you know, very involved, a lot of film study, a lot of conversations. But I don't anticipate him next year being a full-time assistant at Tennessee because I don't, I don't think that that's going to be the reshuffling of the deck, hmm. uh, so so to speak. It was really unusual to have a coordinator who's not the quarterbacks coach. Um, yeah, and I, I don't, I don't see Joey Halsey coaching a different position. Yeah, and I don't see them eliminating a staff position, coaching a position. Um, to where Halsey would be a, a coordinator, and then they would be minus a tight ends coach or minus a running backs coach or something like. That. And and Joey Halsey has never done anything other than quarterbacks as yeah. a coach. So no, oh. I don't see Andrew Milton being there. I didn't realize that with the numbers. I just thought they had a one, and I forgot that Golish is the tight end. I I did not realize that. So they are actually right at the right number. Um, well, that answers that. That's good. Um, I got I guess- that one right. Yeah, no, that's good. Now, I because I've been wondering that this whole time. Um, Brent, I just, when it comes to Bama, I, I just, I understand it's at Bama. I understand the talent. Like, they're 90% in the blue chip ratio, which is just bonkers. Like, you look at those numbers, and it's just 90% of the roster this year is going to be blue chippers, which is unprecedented. Like, Georgia just won a national title at 76%, somewhere around there. And we are looking at that as maybe the most talented national champion of our lifetime. Like, it's kind of crazy to think about just how loaded they are. Like, Hale Downs, like Mill Creek kid, the safety, absolute dude. Watched him this fall at Mill Creek uh, back in my home state, and he'll probably be a monster. But Dallas Turner on one side, you have talent everywhere. But, like, if Ty Simpson, Jalen Milrow, if it's Tyler Buckner, at home we saw what tennessee did at alabama two years ago in the shooting at like it was it wasn't like bama's was the game was in doubt for them but tennessee was still playing well in the fourth quarter it was the game was not over in the fourth quarter tennessee ran out of gas and ran out of firepower and the defense again just couldn't get a stop but like they were they were still hanging around it was still like tennessee was playing a lot better than any of us had anticipated at alabama I don't think the fireworks are there. And if they're score, I just don't know if Bama is going in a direction where they're going to be able to overpower Tennessee and limit Tennessee enough to what Georgia did at home against Tennessee last year. I, I don't know if I see that for them. I, 
I don't know. Like, it's weird to be as optimistic as I am about going into Tuscaloosa um, at this point. Why are you going lost right now? Uh, just because I think it's hard to go down there and win. Um, you know, and, and I think that when you go back and look at what happened last year, um, Hendon Hooker was phenomenal in that mm. football game. Um, I mean, he was he he, he was terrific. Um, he, he played so well. Now, on the flip side. Obviously, Alabama got great quarterback play, um, and that's the only reason they were in the game, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, so uh, down there, I, I just a little bit see it to believe it. Can can Joe do that on the road? I think quarterback play in that game is going to be f- really fascinating. Where's Tennessee at the tackle position in terms of handling pressure? Um, you know, they were pretty – two years ago when they went down there, they were pretty one – pretty one-sided you know they were mm. pretty right-handed because they were they were pretty limited on the offensive line at the tackle spot so what does that look like you know can they run the ball I, I i think that i think the other challenge for tennessee is going to be um are our team's going to get away with holding their wide receivers hmm. are, are, is everybody going to play the Georgia style a year ago, where, where Kirby Smart look, listen, Georgia won. Okay, I'm so I don't want anybody viewing this podcast going, this Hubs guy's talking about <laughs> we got lucky. I'm not suggesting that at all. But Kirby Smart made a wise decision in in, in a lot of ways, where he said to, to he said to his defensive backs, "Hey, if you think you're going to get beat, grab them. Mm. Just grab them. We'll, we'll take the ten yard penalty." Keely Ringo did that we're, all the last two years. Right, we're not giving you. You know, they should have been called for more than what they were called for in that game. But but Kirby Smart was comfortable with them getting three or four pass yeah. interference penalties. Do, do, do teams do teams play that way? Mm-hmm. Do teams just say, Hey, we're gonna grab? You know, now if I'm if I'm Josh Heupel, I'm going to an official, particularly for that Georgia game in Knoxville, going, Hey, this is what's coming. Mm-hmm. They're gonna grab us and, and I I better I better get a PI call in on the first drive, you know, because this is how they're gonna play us. That's because what they did two I, years ago. Do you remember when they went in the end zone and Keely Ringo got called? Because uh, I think Tennessee scored in their first drive on that play to Velas Jones out of the backfield. Yeah. So yeah. You, you know that teams may try to do that. Alabama. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just I just think Nick Saban and and his crew on defense is like, you know, wait a minute, we're not we're not letting a guy get five touchdowns on us. And, mm-hmm. and here's the thing too. Alabama fans are excited because Pete Golden's not there anymore. Now I know yeah. it's Nick Saban's defense, but um, you know Pete Golden had a lot of you know a lot to, a lot of say in all those things, and they've not been the same since Kirby Smart left as coordinator. I think Kevin Steele is a better coordinator than Pete Golden is. Yeah. And so what what do they look like? How much better is Alabama defensively? How much more sound are they? I mean, it's a team that was heavily penalized last year. They had a ton of bust in the secondary. Um, a lot of mental mistakes from that that they had a year ago. Do they clean that up? Do they simplify some things? You know, how, how do they adjust to that um, this year after what's happened to them? Because I mean, the reality is, for two seasons, Josh Heupel's offense has moved the ball. I don't want to say with ease, but they have moved the ball effectively mm-hmm. in two matchups against Alabama. So, do they find any kind of answer at all? 
Um, I don't know. I'm just not sure Tennessee can get a night like they got out of Hendon Hooker a year ago to win that game because he mm. was spectacular in that game against Alabama. He was fantastic. Um, yeah. Just played great. I'm also more concerned about the line play in this one. Like Crawford was incredible in that game, like throwing up and just like pointing, like just the intimidation factor. And he played one of the games of his life and Darnell Wright just being incredible against Will Anderson and company. Like that's going to be a difference now off the edge is, do you have that same kind of protection? Well, and ultimately that's what got him two years ago. Yeah. They, they couldn't hold up off the edge. Um, you know, too many key sacks, too many mm. plays to, to disrupt drives. Can, can they hold up, you know, on the offensive line, um, you know, this year? I, I mean, finding those answers, those those answers at tackle are, are, is going to be huge. Even before you ever think about Alabama, I'm talking about going to Florida, you better have your answers at tackle. And mm. what that looks like is going to be pretty fascinating to, to see. I mean, you, you know, you think John Campbell's going to start one of, the, one of the tackle spots, probably left tackle. And then we'll see what the right side looks like. Is, is that Mincy? Is that Crawford? You know what 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 comes about the right side? I mean, they were they were really. I mean, a year ago they didn't have to worry about. They only had to worry about one tackle. Everything mm. else was solidified up front. And the other thing too, knock on wood, this team really stayed healthy a year ago, and that was a huge part of them being able to do what they did. Now, I know you said, what do you mean they stayed healthy? Ed Cedric Tillman was gone for, for forever. I, I get that. But they stayed healthy in the line of scrimmage, mm. which was big for this team on both sides of the ball. They, you know, Do they have that kind of fortune again th- this year? You know, and, and you say, well, wait a minute, they lost Hendon Hooker. And, yeah, that, that's when the season changed. But up until that point, they had been a very healthy football team, which is why they were – in the in the college football playoff rankings where they were yeah um if you had to estimate what would be a what do you think is more likely texas a&m or south carolina winning in knoxville this fall which one would you be more uh or less surprised um i just have a hard time seeing josh hypo lose back-to-back years to south carolina Mm. i just think i go back to and, and I know Shane Beamer, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not hating on him, but I go back to, you know, his finger pointing and, and kind of the stuff he was doing across the way last year and knowing that, you know, this is a coach and a program that keeps some receipts. I, I just have a hard time seeing Tennessee lose at home to South Carolina. Now, I, I think A&M is a complete and utter mystery. Mm. And I, because I think they're very, I think they're talented. Okay, but but I mean this whole Bobby Petrino, Jimbo Fisher marriage. I mean I mean this thing could be uh, college football playoff or like five and seven. Yeah, I mean it, it it could it could be like the Hollywood the Hollywood marriage that's the fairy tale, or it could be the mm. Hollywood marriage that's over and you know that's annulled. But, you know, before anything ever gets started. I mean, I, I don't know what celebrity to throw in there. I, I guess I shouldn't pick on a celebrity there. But, I mean, th- I mean this it, it could be really good or it could be really, really bad. And I think that's – I don't think there's going to be a lot of middle ground with it. I don't think it's going to be, all right, they're all cool and kind of working through this thing together. I think it's going to be – Everybody buys in from the start into how this is going to go, 
or nobody buys in and it just becomes a, a big old mess. I have a hard time seeing Jimbo Fisher give up control. You know, mm-hmm. I just I see the little glasses on the sidelines and I, I see the 75 sheets of paper and, mm-hmm. and everything he's got going. I just have a hard time seeing him walk around with a headset listening to Bobby Petrino's play calls from us. Because Jimbo's always called plays. Mm-hmm. I mean, from obviously that as an assistant, but I mean, when he was a head coach, always called plays. And yeah. I just don't know that he can really get away from calling plays. And it's not like it's not like he's got a guy who has kind of groomed underneath him and and he's like, okay, here's some concepts I want to get to. You know, a little bit like what Josh Heupel has done, obviously with Golish and now with Joey Halsley, they know each other well. So they can talk about hey concepts we're gonna get to and this and, and it works. Bobby Petrino has been standing where Jimbo Fisher's standing. Mm-hmm. Both at the at the SEC level and at the NFL level, calling his own stuff. So who's going to be the guy? I mean, is, is Bobby Petrino going to get overridden? Yes, sir. Whatever you want to do there, sir. Or is it going to be slinging headsets and spiking tables and Microsoft surfaces or whatever <laughs> they got up there because they're arguing over play calls? I just don't know how that one's going to work. I'm fascinated to watch that storyline unfold in college station because it could be great or it could be really bad. And it's just so funny to me. Like it. So like, I just think some people from the outside, um, don't give enough credence to how hard it's got to be for some guys to give up play calling. Like I was talking to Delaware's head coach last week, Ryan Cardi, fantastic. And he calls plays for Delaware and was a New Hampshire guy played quarterback at Delaware years ago. Super fun guy. And calls plays like he's just he gets enjoyment out of it. I talk to high school coaches all the time where they're like, I mean, yeah, CEO, I get that I'm getting older and that I'm supposed to do that. But like part of the reason I still call like coaching is that the best part to me is calling plays like that's the most fun for me. Like that's what gets me going like that gets me most amped is like being able to call my own plays. And then just everyone just being like, he should be able to just give it to Bobby Petrino. He's one of the all time best play callers. He's the best offensive minds ever. It's like, but Jimbo has won a title being the play caller. Like Jimbo has had a lot of success doing that. More than Bobby Petrino has had. Correct. Like (laughs) it's not that easy. Like I, I understand why Jimbo struggles to give this up. Like I completely get that. I think that is one of the most overlooked when I hear people just rip them, like just give it up. You give it to him. Like you don't understand. Talk to these coaches, man. I, I a hundred percent understand the human element of being like, it's my favorite thing to do. And I've had a lot of success with it in my lifetime. I don't want to just do the, hey, what's this kid need for NIL? All right, let me go see and talk to so-and-so. Like, that's the least fun part of the job now. And I think a lot of these guys just really like Kirby, Nick, whoever, like they want to have their fingerprints and call plays and be involved heavily in some side of the ball because it's like the last thing that they really, really enjoy. And it's a trust factor too. Mm -hmm. I mean, they can trust trust the other guy. They can say that they trust them. Mm -hmm. But but at the end of the day, that's – for 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 Kirby Smart defensively, that's his baby, mm-hmm. right? I mean that that's that is for Josh Heupel, his offense is his baby. You know you don't you, you know there's not a lot of guys with exotic sports cars that are just throwing somebody the key and saying mm-hmm. hey, you know here's here's what you do with it. You know yeah. I mean those guys are 
it's like mac brown the only one who does this like mac brown did it and i mean he was like lambo whoever like just yeah do whatever you gotta do i'm he like loves the ceo coach like he loves just being the players coach. Right, but 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 he's an older guy who was out of the game for a while yeah you know um you know i think david cutcliffe got to the point where he didn't do yeah. it but for the longest time he did it you know and he just felt like he was not as effective at, at preparing the way he needed to you know, throughout the week because of all yeah. the other duties that he had. But you know. how involved was Fulmer in offensive line even later into no. his coaching career? <laughs> as an AD or as a head coach? As a, I mean, oh, both. Was he still just like heavily involved on both? I mean, you know, it, it's funny. I was, I was talking to a, a former lineman um, just in a casual conversation a couple of weeks mm. ago. And, and we were talking. He was like, you got to understand. He goes, like, like nobody liked playing for Coach Fulmer. On the offensive line. I'm like, what? Nobody like. He goes, no, I, I shouldn't say that. He goes, it's just, you could never do it right. <laughs> like, you would get a pancake, and you're like, all right, that had to come back to the oh, that's pretty good. And, and he would be like, hey, you you were you were a half inch off on your instep mm. you know, to the left, or, you know, your hand placement was, you know, four inches outside the number instead of on top of it. Like, it was just one of those things. It didn't matter. I mean, you could have mm. dictated the guy. I mean, you could have Michael ordered him into the dumpster, and it was like mm. he did something wrong. And so, I mean, he was – Coach Fulmer was fanatical about the details. Mm. And um, he let his coaches coach until he saw the first thing he didn't like, and then it was it, – it quickly became his drill. <laughs> he would step right back in and, and be, all right, here's how we're going to do this. And, you know, all right, yeah, you're the offensive line coach, but wait a minute, let me show you how this is supposed to be done. I mean, and again, I think it's he was good at it. He was a lineman. Mm. He was a very successful offensive line coach. And, and when you do that, it's hard to give it up. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just – Because it was probably his favorite thing. Something, yeah, yeah. it's something, it's hard. You know, it's, it's hard to walk away from something that you enjoy doing that you were very successful at doing it. Coach Majors was the same way with defensive backs. That's mm. why he went through secondary coaches every year because they're like, I can't mm. do this guy. He'd come in and take over every drill that they were doing. Mm. You don't think Nick Saban steps in and coaches DBs at, at Alabama? Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's just the way those guys are. And it's not there's nothing wrong with them. You know, it's just, it's just a human nature part of it. That's just a human element part of it. Yeah. Well, speaking of Kirby and that, like we'll end here. Obviously, it didn't go the way Tennessee had hoped. Tennessee fans had hoped at Georgia last year. You get him at home. You're leading after the first quarter two years ago at home. Raise the banner. Who who can forget Tennessee jumping out to an early lead? 2022. It was or 2021. It was so that was the easiest bet I've ever made. Was before all my Georgia friends back home, where I'm like guaranteed just go ahead and place the bet tennessee's leading after the first quarter i would bet the house like mortgage whatever tennessee will be beating georgia after the first quarter done i'm in there freezing my tail off by the fourth quarter and uh not enjoy like i remember breaking the uh the little hot pads and like my wife and i just breaking those little hot things you know you can snap and like just put in your shoe and put like do you know what i'm talking about like the little heaters yeah yeah Yeah, you know you can tape those to your body and they can you really they create heat. Now I don't do that because I have I have a battery powered electric yeah shirt that I wear. What? It's got heater coals in it. Yeah, it's battery powered. No, you don't. That's not a real thing. Are you joking? That's a total real thing. It's a total. You can Google that. Amazon it. You can totally get one of those deals. A battery powered what? 
it's a shirt that's got heater coals in the front and the back, and you got a little battery pack that plugs in, and it heats. It what heats. are you, just like a Transformer Autobot in the press box for these games? What? I, I'm going to do everything I can to not be cold, okay? Now, let's get back to Georgia for a second. Here's the biggest challenge with Georgia. Uh-huh. And, and this is – everybody talks about, you know, this – the elite defense of Georgia, and they're great. Where Georgia beats everybody and where Georgia's been able to beat everybody is how good Georgia's been in the red zone defensively. Mm. They'll give up a drive here or there, and you're like, hey, man, you got a rhythm, you got to go on, and then all of a sudden they're at the 18-yard line, and it's like, nope, you're not going anywhere else. Mm. Like, like they've been so good in the red zone with their defense. Um, even, even as bad as they played at Missouri – when Missouri had a chance to put them away, they just stonewalled Missouri in the red zone on a couple of different occasions that, that gave Georgia a chance to win that game last year when they basically didn't get on the flight to go up there and play the game mentally. They checked out, weren't worried about it. That's the hard part, and that's mm-hmm. the challenge for Josh Heupel and, and anybody playing Georgia, but particularly for Tennessee. They may give up some yards here and there, but can you finish with touchdowns instead of field goals when you get inside mm. the 20. Because they're probably not going to give you a bunch of 60-yarders, right? You may get mm. one here and there. You may pop one. But but you're probably going to have to methodically get it in the end zone, inside the red zone. Can you finish a drive against them? That's the hard part. That's the challenge that everybody has with Georgia right now because they've been the best red zone defense. Now, they've been the best overall defense. But they've been elite, elite when it comes to red zone defense the last couple of years. Stupid good. But when you also look at when I'm watching Ohio State, Georgia, and what Ohio State was able to do to slice and dice, and Marvin Harrison Jr. obviously having a great three quarters before he was knocked out in that one, like there was some stuff there where obviously Ohio State's offensive line played great. Like that was a big part of it. Is CJ Stroud had time to dial it up and let his best uh, wide receiver group in the country do work against the Georgia DBs? Because that was like one of the things that was kind of overrated about Georgia was that like, obviously Jalen Carter made uh, <laughs> uh, Devontae Spragans and uh, Cooper's life miserable in that game. And that was tough, but like the secondary was bit like, if you look at Keely Ringo's PFF score from both games and like me going back through my notes, like Keely got beat multiple times in both games. Like Cedric Tillman was not struggling against Keely Ringo. Like it's right. not like you can't beat them there. The secondary has limitations and this Tennessee team, when I'm thinking about what they were able to do, I think Dante Thornton might be one of those like X factors and the Georgia game is like his size and his ability, his speed, like, if Tennessee, if he is like a different kind of receiver over the top, like that, it's just a different, he has a, I think he's probably the most intriguing wild card that's been thrown into the Georgia Tennessee mix in the last three years. Would you, would you agree with that? Um, well, we, I mean, you know, I, I thought Jalen Hyatt would, would have more success a year ago against mm. Georgia than what he did. And and Georgia clearly tried to beat him up in a bunch of different ways. They will try to do the same thing with with Thornton. You know, yeah. um, can he physically hold up? Can he physically make plays that he needs to make? Uh, you know, to win. I, I mean, I think ultimately the X factor for me is can they give Joe Milton time to operate, and when they do, can he can he complete? balls that he needed you know can he make the plays that, that he has that he has to make um mm. 
you know, that's to me, that's the ultimate X factor. Uh, but because they're not going to give you many opportunities, but when it's, it's kind of like a pitcher, you know, you, he's got good stuff. You, you, you better hit that two Oh fastball that yeah. he's trying to, that he's throwing. You better be ready for it. You know, you better make that play when it's there. Um, Joe Milton's got to make that play when, when pops open for him. I mean, he's yeah. got to make a play because they're not going to give you many, but when they give you one, you got to take full advantage of it. I'm very intrigued to see if they evolve with the receiver room this year. I think they're going to have to. There's no way you're going to be able to do the three receiver, keep everybody happy for a full year. There's no way they're not going to be able to rotate. Well, I mean, I think the bigger question is, you know, can Squirrel White stay healthy? Yeah. Um, Size-wise, I mean, he's tough as nails, but he's still not very big. So can he mm. take pounding of a year? And I know he played all year last year, but he didn't play, you know. Well, I saw he got taken down by a bunch of middle school campers this week, so never <laughs> a good sign there. I mean, he, he wasn't playing the volume of snaps that that he played in the bowl game, you mm. know. So, okay, he did it in the bowl game, but can you do that for seven straight weeks? You yeah, know, six weeks, that type of thing. I think Ramel Keaton's the most underrated player on this football team. Totally agree. Yeah. And here's the thing about Ramel that nobody realizes. I mean, Joe Milton took Ramel with him to New York. Mm-hmm. Like that was Joe's pick because oh, I didn't know that they're good friends. They have a great chemistry with each other because when Joe was the backup and Ramel was having a hard time finding his way to the field, those two guys developed a real chemistry with each other. They threw a bunch mm-hmm. of balls. You know, that they were very comfortable. They've got a real chemistry. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I think Ramel Keaton is going to have a good year because he caught everything they needed him to catch a year ago. Mm. Uh, Brew McCoy is going to be better in year two than yep. he was in year one. Then it gets to what you're, I mean, we, we think Thornton, White, Brew, Keaton. Yeah. Maybe four, right? Now, who would be next if you need somebody? You know, it depends you, if you need a slaughter, another guy on the outside. Is it Nimrod? Is it Caleb Webb? I mean, yeah. what, what does that look like? Um, who kind of emerges there uh, remains to be seen. I think they're pretty set with their four. Maybe they may just ride with four. Um, you know, I, I think that's. Did we ever I, see them go four last year? No, not four. They're, they've got to have a tight end on the field. I mean, yeah. they're not going to play a ton of four wide. But Alex Golish, and this really goes back to the Florida game their first year um, when when the kid dropped the ball in the out pad. Mm. Um, after that, he was kind of like, okay, i got three guys I can trust. That's who I'm going to play. Yeah. I'm going to give Javante Payton a touchdown in the first quarter, and we're <laughs> not going to throw it to him the rest of the game. And then we're going to play with Valus Jones, mm. and we're going to play with Cedric Tillman. And yeah. that's it. That's the only three people I trust, and that's how we're going to play football. And we're going to make it work, The you know, however we need to make it work that way. Um, does Joey Halsley buy into that? Does he do that, or do mm-hmm. they rotate a little bit more? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, I think I think Golish was very adamant to Josh Heupel and everybody. These are, the, these are the three I trust. This is who we're going to play, and let's play these guys. You know, and that's essentially what they did. They were going to play – well, you go look at the pit game. Mm. Jalen, it was Cedric, and it was Brew McCoy until then Cedric got hurt and, and Keaton stepped into that role, you know, for you know, for the most part. But um they were gonna basically roll with three again, I think, uh, up until you know the, you got the entry to, to Cedric Tillman. There you go. Brent Hubs, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Volquest.com well, this week? We're, we're gonna we're gonna put Eric Kane on a crop duster and send him <laughs> to Omaha to mm-hmm. cover the, the College World Series. So we'll have plenty of pregame stuff getting ready all week for that and that epic matchup on Saturday night against 
uh, LSU. Uh, there are continued camps at Tennessee, so we got continued recruiting coverage. Tennessee's got a big recruiting weekend coming up this weekend with a bunch of official visitors, so we'll have more on that. Of course, later today, I guess this is going to be on Wednesday, we're going mm-hmm. to learn who the eight opponents are going to be for 24. We won't know when they're playing them, but is the league going to go and play a bunch of traditional Eastern Division games against with Eastern Division teams, even though there's no longer divisions? Are they going to really jumble it up in this one-year, one-off thing or whatever they're doing? Uh, so we'll see who gets a rose and who doesn't get a rose in the ceremony tonight to see who's married to play each other in, in 24. Um, so we'll have, we'll have plenty of, of talk about that as well. And we'll do the mailbag podcast and all kinds of stuff. So we'll, we'll be around answering some questions and following all things Tennessee. Yeah, Austin Price. I agree with what he said on the pod today uh, when I was walking the dog where he said the four and four. I That's what I hope they do. I hope they do four east, four west. That Just don't overthink it. Just do four east, four west. Oh, don't. Man. Don't overthink it. That's all they've been doing for the last year. But that's what I'm saying. Until you get the full permanent rivals, the nine-game conference schedule, don't do this to me. Don't go. Don't just shake it up to shake it up. Don't do this. Yeah, I, I mean, I get that. I don't disagree. But do they want, you know, I, do you want to indoctrinate Texas and Oklahoma and get mm. them into some into some rights? See, I totally can see Alabama and Oklahoma playing yeah. in the regular season. I don't think Alabama and Texas play in the regular season because they just played. Yeah. You know, but I can totally see Alabama, Oklahoma. And I could, it would not stun me at all if the league said, you know what? I'd like to see the Tennessee Orange in Austin. Yeah. Because they're going to travel really well. Or or, would they give Tennessee and Oklahoma or Tennessee, Texas, and Oklahoma in the same year? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because I do think they're going to hold true to some of those natural rivals. Um, Mm Yeah. You know, which would be Alabama, Vanderbilt. Then the question is, is it Florida or Georgia? You know, or Kentucky, uh, South Carolina. I mean, those are there's still some. Do you? Oh, you're talking you, about you're talking about squawking. If Tennessee's if Tennessee got South Carolina, Kentucky, Vandy, and Alabama as four of their eight, avoided hmm. Florida and Georgia. Oh, <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of people mad anyway, and and yeah. that's just the reality of it. There, there's gonna be people upset, people mad, but you know they're gonna play the Egg Bowl. Mm. They're gonna play um, Auburn, Alabama. They're gonna play Georgia, Auburn. They're gonna play Georgia, Florida. Uh, Tennessee and Alabama is gonna play. They're not gonna anything that's been a quote rival game is safe and is gonna be played in 24. Yeah. Whatever that whatever that you know perceived rival is, that may or may not be Tennessee, Kentucky. We'll see. The question is, are they going to get Arkansas to Oklahoma and renew a little, you know, old Big 12, Big 8 conference deal? Um, you know Oklahoma and Texas are going to play, right? That's a given. They're, they're going to play a game. But then does Texas get Texas A&M? That That's be- just one of those, what are we doing? Like, it, that should not, like, Texas is not allowed to join the conference unless that is happening Thanksgiving weekend. Like, you're not allowed in. I don't care. Like, that's just one of those, what are we, don't overthink this. Like, they have to play every year. That is the rule. If you want I, to join I mean, these, yeah. I think I think so, too. But, you know, I mean, A&M joined this league with the idea that Texas wasn't coming to this league. Yeah. You know, and, and here they are. So, well, uh, you got to win I the conference once to have some kind of sway. Can you Can you win the conference once? <laughs> I mean, I think they should play too, yeah. um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. It should it should be a, a a fascinating deal with a lot of people mad on Twitter and on message yeah. boards. There'll be a lot of gnashing of the teeth. We got hosed, you know. The conference is against us. It's a conspiracy, you know. 
Yeah. Somebody's got pictures on somebody somewhere. So all the all those tweets are are coming out uh, sometime uh, Wednesday night after this made for television event announcing these teams. I won't be watching on TV. They're not doing this to me. I'm not. I, I'm not going to be one of those sickos, Brent, sitting by the TV yes, for a schedule are. release. Yes, no. you are. Well, no, I'm going to hey. check Twitter. I'm going to look at it, and then I'm going to be like, okay, move on with my day. I got pods yeah. to do, Brent. I got things to do. I, I hate watching the draft. I hate watching stuff like that. Really? You're not yeah, a draft guy? Oh, I hate, like hate it. There's so much in between dead air. Like if it was just we keep this thing moving, sure. But there is so much just. And then when he was in sixth grade, he blah 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 blah, and we do all this stuff. Like it just there's too much. It's not. It's not fun. It's not a fun experience. It takes forever. They have all these celebrities come in and announce the picks, and that we do this, and it's just. It's not for me. That's a real get off your lawn kind of kind of. I know. That's more of a Brent Hubbs kind of take right there. You don't watch the NBA draft either. No. No drafts at all. No. Not following any draft coverage. I don't. I mean, I'm read. I'll read the reactions the next day. I'll literally look at the full list of picks and then i'm you done. like you have like the scroll going you have it on just kind of glance over and see who they pick but yeah you, know, you don't have popcorn in the coke so no absolutely not no I'm, I'm watching probably the new season of barry to make sure i'm all caught up there with my wife i do a walk with our dog at that time no can't be doing that i'm watching the draft because I'm, I... I'm a loser then <laughs> I'm a loser. there's different strokes for different folks you know those losers who wants to learn about what what Tommy did in the sixth grade when he got cut from his middle school football team. Yeah, you. I, I just, I can't. And he was an 87-pound fullback. Yeah, I just, I don't care. With a neck roll bigger than his <laughs> own <it> was. <laughs> Had a cowboy collar on because his hero was wearing a cowboy collar. Mm. Right? Yeah, just that. What happened to neck rolls? We just collectively decided as a society, like, that's just it. I I played up until eighth grade, and there were kids still rocking the neck rolls. And then one year, it's just gone everywhere. Just gone. Yeah, they're just – somebody deemed them that they were no longer a real, real help to your safety. Yeah. In but the they didn't really need it, your safety. It was just intimidating. Anyone with a neck roll, it just looked intimidating. Yeah, but then, you know, and then everybody started adding all this other gear, and they were like, I don't know, seven more pounds a year than what they needed to do. You know? Yeah. Lean it out and play rugby. Like we don't wear knee pads anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, but then you got the guy who's got on like, you know, the shooting sleeve, and mm. you know, he's got tights on when it's 112 degrees <laughs> outside. Well, hold of- on, you're the fashion guy here, Brand. We like you're oh, the no, one. No. Ro- oh, no. hold on. the The track suit says otherwise here. The silk track was, suit. That was in middle school. Yeah. In middle school. Okay. Now I'm now now I'm not. The fashion guy that Vol- at Volquist is, is is Austin Price with his, you know, with his fashion attire. Me, I'm I'm in a hoodie or I'm in a pretty plain Jane golf shirt, and that's about all you get out of me. <laughs> pretty plain Jane, pretty yeah. boring, pretty vanilla. There you go. That's okay, Brent. We'll allow it. Brent Hubs, always a pleasure, my friend, and uh, I will talk to you soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Chase. See you, bud. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.